0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy podcast. And on this week's episode, there is plenty to talk about. We're going to kick it off by talking about the results from the Orlando Regional Championships. Were our predictions correct or did we woefully underestimate the best deck? (laughs) We'll have guessed that flavor text, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast We'll be talking about a little bit of an issue with a uh, Tord Reklev's deck list that came out and was revealed after the event in Orlando, of course, Tord, the best player in the game currently. Had a little bit of an issue popped up after the event, a little bit of drama surrounding that. We'll give our thoughts and opinions on the situation. And then we've got some new cards to talk about as well that are going to be coming out this summer. My name is Chip Ritchie and I'm joined here as always by my friend and co-host Azul GG. Azul, how we doing, buddy?
1: Uh, doing all right. Chip just got back from Orlando, which where I had a pretty disappointing finish, I guess I would say, overall, especially going in from day one into day two at eight and one. Um, so, pretty disappointing finish uh, overall. Which was uh, top 64 in this one. Yeah, one at eight and one, then ended 10 and five. Just a couple rough matchups in day two. And then I misplayed on stream uh, against John. So, yeah, a little bit of a rougher tournament. Uh, but I really like the deck choice. Went with the control build. I um, have to give a shout out to Sander for sure for, you know, putting in all the hard work. Uh, <laughs> and then even though the build that my me and my group played was pretty different from the build that Sander, I guess like the the main, uh, you know, counter to the Lost Box, um, Lost Box deck was different than what uh, than what Sander was doing with the Flying Pikachu. We went with a very heavy emphasis on the Ice Q, Double Ice Q, Quad Wash Energy um, because it uh, it beats, it's more efficient. little bit more consistent than the pikachu and it also beats echoing horn Mm -hmm. in lost box decks whereas the flying pikachu kind of just loses to echoing horn so it also gets to beat echoing horn which is kind of cool um and also gives you an out to um uh what the other out was oh yeah you don't lose to a vacuum as well in lost box where they can just vacuum your parasol off your flying pikachu and then the game just kind of ends so um i feel like it played into a couple more of the tech cards there's also some situations where the flying pikachu is better but we went with the to build instead uh and it worked out okay for our group our group didn't have the best showing um isaiah got to the bubble and ended up 11th but really was having a rough time to even push for a top eight so i'm super tired had a long flight back i think this is the first east coast regionals that i've had this season actually was there any east there was uh secaucus New Jersey, but actually, yeah, the, uh, the East Coast regions are kind of tough for me now because I'm, like, I'm coming all the way from California. We had, you so...
0: had Baltimore.
1: Oh, there was Baltimore. I don't know. This one just hit Toronto. Just hit hard, I guess I don't know. Toronto, but Toronto's not as bad. That's like for some reason that one didn't feel as bad. I don't know. This one felt pretty bad. I'm like I'm, I'm tired. Maybe I should have, like I haven't really gotten a whole ton of sleep. So maybe I should have I've got a suggestion. Oh, Book better what, flights. What? Book better. <laughs> well, no, I tried to get. I've been. You left the hotel at two o'clock,
0: two a.m. in the morning, bro. Like... Yeah, but
1: I'd rather leave then than like. I try to. I always try and get, like, Sunday flights whenever I can, but they're sometimes just not available to, you know, get a Sunday flight yeah. back. But, uh, but yeah, I've been feeling tired, but uh, still here recording the cast. How about you, Chip? How was the weekend of actually casting the uh, the tournament?
0: It was good. We actually saw some pretty good games. We had a few, like, games that went a little weird, like some mirrors and then things that, like, also games that just went really long and it felt like they dragged out. But then we had some super hype moments, some crazy plays one of the highlights for me was like ian rob's cribbominable plays that he made with his palkia deck he like you know Thorntoned into a palkia evolved into the v star because that pokemon had been in play and then out of nowhere pulled out the cribbominable with like his double quick shooting it was really cool (laughs) a lot a lot of really unique things happening on the weekend um and then also uh, Reagan, Retzlov on the stream using Primate Wisdom for one into like Serena. It was like turn one blind Serena for one just into Serena to KO his opponent's Lugia and win like just in immediately win the mirror match. It was so disgusting. <laughs> um, yeah, we saw some pretty hype moments. Um, had a good time. For Sure. We actually, you know, just a little like technical note or trying something a little new with the podcast as far as our recording setup. So hopefully our picture quality should be much better on the YouTube channel. So let us know if you notice that if you're uh, you're watching over on YouTube, if you feel like the the camera quality is better and. Hopefully the audio quality. I think it should still be right around the same. So uh, hopefully it didn't decrease. At least that's that would be the worst case scenario. And also, I didn't buy this in Orlando, but I bought it right before Orlando, and it came while I was away. But I bought myself a a Tropical Beach recently, which I'm super pumped about. I'm gonna be able to add that to my cube. So just wanted to share that because I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about it. And that's a definitely I think the that now makes it the most I've ever paid for a Pokemon card. Um, but I still think I got a good deal on it. I think I got a good deal. <laughs> but yeah, so it was a great weekend. And we'll hop right in and talk about Orlando Regionals. And first off, just kind of what were some of your thoughts as a player on the event and just like the location of Orlando in general? You know, you obviously travel to all of these regional championships. How would you feel about this one?
1: Um, yeah, so I've been to Orlando a couple of times now. I won the first Orlando Regional post uh, or modern era under yep. regionals um got
0: some good history that i even
1: yeah i even top eight of the one or top four the one after that as well so i went win top four and then unfortunately top 64 the daytona ones they're not or oh, maybe that was daytona actually yeah yeah remember. you
0: top four daytona that's right
1: Top four daytona okay yeah i think i've day two every florida regional since the one i won so that's at least something i guess but um yeah it's a, i mean it's a solid look at, definitely way better than daytona i hope they never go back to daytona it daytona is so sucks. hot there it is so humid it is the worst the first time they had it in daytona it was like the worst humidity i've ever experienced um but up in orlando not quite as bad especially in the winter time fall time like it's a little bit cooler a little bit more enjoyable weather uh in the summer and spring it's still pretty bad in florida in general it doesn't really matter where you go i don't think too much but it's so much worse so much worse the further what is it called uh south you go it just gets worse um so yeah hopefully they never go back to daytona and they just keep in orlando it's a pretty good location like a lot of people when it's in Orlando, they go out early, you know, they go to Universal or they go to Disney, whatever. Um, I didn't do that myself, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do out there, which is really good for a lot of people. You know, if you uh, want to show up a day early or two or, you know, if you just don't have a great day one, you could come back and do side events. But there's so many other things you could be going right. to do and experience. And especially it's like it's great. It's that much better when they do it like around this time, because it's not in the spring, it's not in the summer, which is when like more people are vacationing. Um, So, you know. A little bit better of a time at going to like one of the one of the theme parks or something like that so
0: yeah this time the... of year is like perfect florida weather when you go in the summer yeah. it's it's just too hot but this time of year february it's like a crisp you know 78 80 degrees <laughs> or so outside you cool can wear in the evenings. shorts and then it's like it cools down in the evening just throw on a light coat and yeah it's it's really good uh weather definitely a big fan Um, And I really enjoyed it. The convention center was super nice as well. It was, it was massive, absolutely massive. We were just in one hall in one section of the convention center, like the convention center itself must span like dozens of blocks of space. I feel like, um, so, I mean, there was multiple other events happening. There was like a cheerleading, uh, event or competition happening as well. And I never felt like, I, like at NAIC this year um there's always a lot of space at NAIC but like you know you walk out on the hall and you feel like you're on top of all the other people who are there for other types of things like the Plexus convention or whatever that was right next to NAIC yeah <laughs> you know we were like all intertwined with those you know MLM people right and um <laughs> but at, at Orlando like even though there was all this other stuff going on I never felt like I was like on top of all these other events and conventions that were happening. So I thought that was really cool. It was a great place. Um, and yeah, I would love it if next year there was an Orlando regionals in the exact same weekend in the exact same convention center I would definitely love to go back. It was all around a win from me, uh, for sure. As far as the, the location itself goes.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit crowded, like overall. Not as crowded as something like Baltimore, but like if they had a little bit more space, that'd be nice. But it wasn't bad overall. But yeah, it was a little bit crowded. I think one of the reasons for that, though, it felt like a way because it was kind of like we were being. There was only one door to get into the area, um, and then the the event hall was like it was like deep, not wide. Uh, so like you had, like then the TCG player. For it felt worse for the TCG players because it went like video game players first. You had to walk past all the video game tables and then get to the tcg tables and then the you know like the table 1 for tcg is all the way at the the end so if you're doing well you're like doing a long walk <laughs> all the way to like the far side of the hall so yeah if they could make the the hall wide instead of long next time i guess that would be kind of cool but yeah it was a great venue overall uh, it was a little packed there's a lot of players though there was like 800 vgc players or something like that and then there was almost 1500 tcg players so it's the biggest uh biggest regional of all time biggest north american tournament of all time probably um no it didn't even, yeah. end
0: up after after no shows and stuff it was not larger than yeah, but that, i think it like just AIC. like
1: see like between pokemon go and the oh, sure players like biggest most people ever at a pokemon tournament in uh outside of japan probably ever right even even including ICs. So
0: yeah i mean uh, i don't i think at worlds there was probably more foot traffic because they sold a lot of spectator badges and that's stuff. true
1: that's true yeah. a lot of people do just come to worlds to not compete that's true yeah yeah so besides worlds i guess as well um but yeah yeah uh yeah it was a good location uh good time of year for florida as well yeah if they held this one more into the spring summer it wouldn't be as good so if they can always do it around this time and hopefully they use it like if they do it in orlando again hopefully it is the convention center because the first like like i said the one in 2016 uh, or 2016 was like at a hall i don't mean it wasn't it wasn't the convention center though i remember that it was like somewhere I don't know out kind of in the middle of nowhere it felt like um yeah that
0: but, was one of yeah. my first regionals actually i think that was like the second regionals i ever went to was at that orlando regionals
1: yeah um so yeah hopefully they bring it back here if they're gonna do an Orlando game. but yeah it was sick it was sick for sure
0: so let's move on and talk about the tournament a little bit and talk about that meta share i think it's one of the most important statistics to look at whenever you're you know a competitive player whenever you're trying to debate what to play for an event moving forward and, yeah, so we've got some good information <clears throat> from that MetaShare. And I think it's uh, maybe something that was a little surprising to some people, but um, I was kind of feeling like it was going to be on a bit of a decline, and that is Lugia V-Star still dominating 26% of the room, but mm-hmm. it is down a bit from that 30%, which is pretty much since LAIC it has been right at or above 30%
1: yeah right. so it dropped down a little bit and i remember we were talking like the night before the tournament and you were like yeah i think it's gonna come down to about 25 and i was like "Yeah, i could definitely see that um but like the biggest thing i like if we, and i think if we had liverpool data i think liverpool would have also kind of backed that up and it showed a been, decline yeah, yeah. and that's what i was kind of like because we didn't have that data yet i was like i wouldn't be surprised to still see lugia b 30 percent. and lost box was more popular than i thought it would be at the 20 percent. i think finally like i said i think lost box is one of those decks that's like intimidating for people to pick up but like there's so many more other ways to play it and we have just had the the, the deck spent out for that much longer and more time in the game and i think people are also getting sick of lugia um so we're finally getting more people to come over to lost box and i really don't think lost box is that hard to play it's definitely harder than most decks in the format but it's not that hard to play so i think we're finally getting more people to start playing the deck which is cool to see um i didn't expect it to hit 20 percent Uh, I think my guess was like, come if you combine all the Lost Box decks together, which they did do with the graphic this time around, usually they have them kind of split up between Lost Box and the most popular build of Lost Box, which is up to this point has been Ray. But now they combine them all into one, which I like that stat a little bit better, to be honest, just to see all the Lost Box decks combined into one hits the 20%. I think my guess going into this with like, if you combine them all, it'd be around 15. So I was like five points off on that one. But yeah, ton of Lost Box.
0: Yeah, and to me as well, it felt like the Lost Box decks in this tournament <clears throat> just overall kind of lacked direction. People didn't really know where to go with their Lost Box lists. People were kind of playing just the same old Ray lists a little bit, but then also we had people trying out the new stuff. There was some Sky Sealstone things. There was some um, sort of new adaptions with Zamazenta. Yeah, and there was really no theme as far as like, you know, multiple of the same similar looking Lost Box deck in top 32. There wasn't like a team of Lost Box players that really came through and um, had a strong finish. It didn't feel like at this event. There wasn't like a bunch of Kyogre's Kyogre definitely felt like it was one of the lesser popular ones um, from the event. From when, when I'm walking around, I didn't see quite as much of it. It was still there for sure, but just not not quite as much. And then uh, then third most popular deck hovering around the 12% mark, which is where it kind of has lived is the mu v max genesect?
1: yeah so mu v max at the 12 and i think that's about what we predicted uh on the podcast last week because like mu will still be uh up there and that's what i, I think i predicted i was like if you combine a loss on decks together it'll probably be more popular than mu if you split them up mu would probably be more popular and we see mu there's at the number three slot behind the combined loss box decks and yeah the 12 percent and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Mew's still strong. We did see you know one of them pop into top eight, and uh, yeah, there's nothing really to talk too much about here. I don't think like this is still Mew. I think Mew just lives here, right? Like it lives in the top three most popular decks, and I don't see a reason, especially when we look at the next three decks that show up. Like when would you ever see any of these three decks passing Mew, especially after this weekend? And Guja placed well, and that's like the next deck. Next deck, but I feel like I think people realize how bad the Lugia matchup is for Guja at this tournament. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and when we get to the Gudra lists in day two, the ones that made top 32, there was a few of them that were just playing two Drapion in their deck, right? They yeah. they don't, when they see their opponent flip over a mu V, they for one second are not thinking about putting a Gudra V into play. <laughs> <laughs> they are just biding their time and waiting to put both of their Drapion V in play. So yeah, Gudra V-Star was at the 8.3% Uh, probably a bit higher than we would have thought right uh but i guess it makes sense with like just how big this tournament was it really did feel like uh, i i will say like as far as like the top six decks go that get shown on the graphic that's on the stream um it's not like this is the highest meta share that the top six decks have had i think this season i would have to go back and double check for sure but usually the using other decks stat is like 30 something percent. But for this one, yeah. it was other decks besides the top six decks was 21%, which is, I mean, that's a really big difference. So it did really feel like this was a much more centralized meta than even we were kind of predicting, right? Like I think we were thinking is gonna be like a four or five percent deck, reggie's yeah. is probably gonna be around a five percent, Arceus V Star Duraladon's gonna be three-ish percent, right? But it was like, and then people are just gonna play all kinds of other wacky things, but it was really a much more centralized meta.
1: I mean, I think that makes sense with like, yeah, I think my prediction, my prediction on the podcast last week, I think, I think it was three or 4% for Gudra. But my, yeah. my prediction the night before the tournament was actually 7% because it had been building up a ton of steam throughout the week. Um, and then, yeah, we saw it get played pretty de- to a pretty decent level uh, or to a, quite a few players chose to bring it. Uh, Reggie's, of course, is up there. And then Arctur on still squeaking at number six. Um, I do think uh yeah, the twenty percent other I mean that's I think that's just like the natural progression of the meta, right? That number should continuously go down, especially because Crown C didn't add any new archetypes. It just added different ways to play Lost Box. Yeah, sure, <laughs> right? sure. So as long as you keep all the lost box decks combined together, the using other decks percentage, um, I mean like within a margin of error should continuously go down, right? As them as we, we have four or five more tournaments in this meta which is absolutely horrendous um but yeah right like it should continuously go down like as more people are like do i want to keep losing with this (laughs) i don't know what is it turn it just wheezing is the one that i always kind of rag on that's my recent deck to kind of call out as like uh that's my current go-to deck to as my punching bag right now is like do you want to keep playing decks like this or should i just pick up one of these top six maybe um and you know give myself a better shot right as the meta continues to continues to play out we're just going to see more and more people gravitating towards what are the truly established top decks in the uh in the format right
0: and then when we talk about meta centralizing it really did centralize when it came to day two because that other decks stat dropped down to 14 percent of people were playing decks that were not the top six in day two so I mean, most of your rounds in day two were probably going to be against these, these top six decks. And the Lugia V-Star percentage did jump up pretty decently when we went from day one to day two. In day one, it was 26, like we said. And then in day two, 34% of those day two players were playing Lugia V-Star. So it had a really yeah. positive conversion rate, which I guess is not it too always big of a has. surprise, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's always had an 8 to 10% jump day one to day two. So yeah. like we saw at laic i think it was a 10 percent jump and then all the other regionals have been seven to eight percent jumps from day one to day two lost box dropping down pretty drastically losing seven points um i think it's pretty predictable as well because lost box is a hard deck to play so a lot more people are bringing it <laughs> bro and he's just going to be a lot more people you know who can't quite handle the deck to that efficiency is just oh, not hold gonna, they're not going to cut it right oh, hold what on was up?
0: i just gotta say because like literally 60 seconds ago you said Lost Box really isn't as hard to play as many people think it is. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but it's still like one of the hardest decks in the format. Like, if you're going to put the time and effort, you can get there. But this is still, like, predictable. It's predictable that Lost Box would lose points going from day one to day two. It wouldn't have as good of a conversion. It's, like, Lugia predictable. And then Mew, I think that's also predictable. Mew uh, didn't even change a point, right? 12%. 12%. (laughs) And then even, yeah, Gudra. Reggie's gained a little bit. Uh, We saw Arcdura as well uh, gain three points going into day two um but yeah those are all kind of whatever um for sure i mean those kind of make sense to me like the arctura the reggie the gudra um all like a lot more straightforward of decks right so it kind of makes sense for their percentages to also increase as they go from day one to day two
0: all i'll say as well is when we were looking at the graphic sunday morning getting it ready for the live stream the um the guy who's the graphics guy was really pumped that the six decks were in the same order, so he didn't have to like <laughs> when he was making the new graphic, he didn't have to rearrange the uh the order of the cards. So
1: yeah, that the the what's it called? Uh, Gudra and Reggie's tied. He was very he was lucky <laughs> yeah, on that one. Yeah. If they had just been a yeah, I assume that at that point they get uh, ordered by alphabetical. So and Gudra does edge out Reggie by uh <clears throat> alphabetical order.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think if they were the same and it was just not alphabetical, they probably would have just left it because it's like... It's I would have called you know? them out. I <laughs> You'd have called them called out, them out. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those are the stats. I mean, is there anything else to really kind of glean from this as well? I mean, we do see these numbers as well up at the top. 1485 Masters in day one. Once again, the largest regionals ever. And subsequently, 153 Masters day two, the largest re- regionals day two ever as yeah. well.
1: It's this actually, day that's... two
0: was bigger than some of like... the Like this was probably bigger than the regionals you won whatever back in 2010, right? Like
1: yeah, I think it's like about how many players there were in those yeah. regionals back in the day. Um yeah, I, I mean I mean I guess that's one thing we talk about like going into this people were predicting potentially 200 people in day two. Um and we only have with 153. I think I saw someone tweet out there about uh just roughly about how many people ID'd versus played it out in the was that you that was me. Oh, so what was the tweet? What was the tweet that you tweeted? I'll
0: pull it up. Yeah so on the winning and that, cause that was a big thing we talked about last week as well. Yeah. Right. Should if you, you find ID yourself at, at that's yeah. If you find yourself at that six and two record, do you take the ID in order to get to your day two spot or do you play it out if you want to um, try to win the tournament and yeah, here's my tweet. I'll pull it up on the YouTube video here for everyone, but yeah, on the winning end of Orlando regionals, there are 17 tables where both players could have ID'd to both make day two eight of those tables chose to play it out instead. So you had about half of them choosing to just play it out. Yeah.
1: and So there, could, there would only, only would have been plus eight if they had all chosen ID, uh, plus eight players in day two. Right. And, and I that's, think that's one only... of those
0: eight did naturally tie as well. I went back and looked okay. at that.
1: So there only would have been plus seven – it would have been only been up to 160 players. So where these other 40 players come that people were predicting there could have been 200 people in day two? Where's so, this happen? I didn't do the math.
0: <laughs> I, I know what happened.
1: <laughs> A big tie, high tirade or
0: – Yeah, so what happens is if you go to the Limitless Swiss calculator, and someone pointed this out on the YouTube channel. Wait, the was, YouTube did video, we
1: mess it up? Did we mess it up?
0: Well, we weren't the only ones though because people were talking about 200, right? But yes, because yeah. remember how the first calculation we did, it said 200. Yeah. And then later it said 150 we were trying to figure out what happened. It's because if you go to the tools, the, um, the Swiss calculator, and you type in how many players there's going to be, 1,500, with a point whatever tie rate, 1,8 or whatever we said, uh, and you say official play Pokemon structure, if you don't tick two-day tournament and you just leave it at single-day tournament and click calculate, you see that there's going to be at 19 match points 200-plus play- players. But, but that's because it's calculating. Two, I no, I at first, I only ticked just this. I just clicked through oh. to this. And that's what I think most people were doing as well. I do you think you
1: did that, though. Two-day
0: tournament structure. No, I literally did. I literally did. It's okay, though. Okay, it's I okay. believe you. We figured it out. <laughs> it's fine. If we do click day two, we see that the number of 19 match points in day one is around 143 cumulative okay, okay. players. So that's where the issue came in.
1: All right. right We'll get to a regional big enough that our day two is bigger than Australian regionals one day. We're we're still growing. We'll get there eventually. That's the that's the American goal right now for the, the North American regionals.
0: That's as well. That's the real American dream, right? There. <laughs> yeah, to have
1: our day two of regionals be bigger than the Australians' day uh or regional in general. Um there's one more thing I was gonna say. Maybe that was it though. Um yeah, so it was cool to see. I mean, that's I like that like I said like the, the competitive mindset to you know play out that last round. I was in a situation where I you know I went I was 6-0 to start off with Then I lost that round I went down to 6-1. If I had lost again and ended up at 6-2. I would have played out my last round unless I knew it was like a terrible matchup for whatever reason. Um so uh I definitely like I like to see that more players, you know, being a little bit more competitive with it. Um, and of course, yeah, if you choose to hide in the situation, nothing against, there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, I like to, I like to see, I like to see that the more play, players are yeah. choosing to play it out at that, at that record.
0: Once again, it all depends on what your goals are for the tournament. So, and from there, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the results. And <laughs> I mean, the main takeaway, six Lugia V star in the top yep. eight. It was, I mean, we talk about conversion rate, right? Day one, 26% day two. um, day two 34 top eight 75 percent and if you even look at the top 16 it was 10 out of the top 16 decks as well so it was all lugia up at the top tables when it came down to the end of the tournament
1: yeah just a lot of lugia an insane amount of lugia doing super super well i mean i guess it's not, it's not really too much to say to be honest like that's kind of the event <laughs> and we had the yeah it was six in the six in the Top cut. And then there was one Mew and one Lost Box we managed to squeak in as well. And yep. they both had, uh, I guess we could start there and talk about those lists first. Um, we can
0: talk about just the winner, I guess, first, right? We talk about the winner. Oh, winning true. List. We start yeah. there. Yeah. So, yeah, the w- event was won by Andrew Hedrick, did defeat Isaiah Bradner. Man, I feel really bad for Isaiah, to be honest, because everyone knows he's one of the best, right? Definitely best North yeah. American player, one of the best in the world. He's He's just super good. Uh, and he's just, uh, these events are so big, so much has to go right for you to even be in the finals, no matter how good you are in the game. So much has to go right for you to get to the finals. And so you just hope once you get there, just another couple things can go right for you to be (laughs) champion. And he's gotten second place at three majors in the last 12 months, which is just that, I mean, that's really, really tough. So just keep your head up, Isaiah. You're a great player. You'll make it happen at some <laughs> point. But, yeah, I, I can't imagine that. I'm, I just know his level of competition that uh, it's tough, right, to to be in yeah. that spot.
1: Yeah, but was was taken down in the end by uh, Andrew. Is it Hedrick or Hedrick?
0: Hedrick? Hedrick? Hedrick. Hedrick. We said Hedrick on the stream, so I hope that's right. But
1: All right. We're going with Andrew Hedrick, <laughs> who also got top eight in Peoria. Uh, with Paulkin Talian, so this is not their first top eight. I believe this is their first year. Uh, I could be wrong. That they, they they were a Masters division player uh, at the half season. Um, so this is their second year in Masters. I want to say. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, got their first regional dub. They were a very big player uh, in the online tournaments over COVID. They were constantly. Uh, taking dubs, doing well in online tournaments. Um, I haven't seen them pop as much pop up as much in the online tournaments. So I don't know if they're still playing them, but they, uh, you know, now that IRL tournaments are bad. Not back. Not as many people are playing them in general. But yeah, they were a big. One of the big players that was playing a lot of the online tournaments. Uh, and their, the Lugia list that they brought was definitely a little bit different. I think the, the card that stands out to me the most that wasn't included was there was no Dunsparce yeah. uh, in the list here uh, from Andrew. Uh, and then I guess the I mean, you had to make space for that capturing aroma, of course. So maybe that's where our <laughs> Dunsparce went. And then also uh, the spicy echoing horn as well. So uh, no Dunsparce, but had some other uh, other consistency through the capturing aroma. And then, of course, the, the spicy echoing horn.
0: Yeah, I, I think the only thing that Dunsparce is really important for is the reggie matchup and then also the lost box matchup into a lightning attacker right and if yeah. most of the lost box decks like if you look at something like pablo meza's Rayquaza list right he's one-shotting your lugia with Requeza he's never one-shotting your lugia with raiku though because he doesn't play choice belt so yeah well Dunsparce the sparse the... doesn't matter in that sense it does Raikou put a lot is of... the
1: better attacker in the matchup actually once you've dealt with Manaphy, right because you're putting way more damage in play right sure with a Raikou than the rayquaza so Raikou's the better attacker um i don't i was just curious The, the no dunce parts definitely feels a little bit mean, like it's not like reggie was going anywhere right
0: yeah sure yeah I, I mean and we saw reggie's was a pretty decent share of the meta as well so it's definitely a little bit of a gutsy call but yeah i mean if the matchups go your right way i mean I think it's not that big of a deal of a card in the mirror match. Like, sure, Raikou yeah. Choice Belt can one-shot you, but so can Evil Tall, and it basically or requires... Or Charizard. <laughs> yeah, or Charizard Choice Belt, right? Like, it, these cards all basically require the same amount of resources, so it's not that big of a deal in the mirror, and honestly, it's maybe even a little bit of a liability in the mirror since it can be KO'd by Stoutland really easily. Um,
1: oh, one thing I will mention, though, is like... So, uh, Andrew didn't play the Dunsparce, but had the Wash energy, actually. So that makes Raikou a way worse attacker up against Lost Box X because you can put the Wash energy on your Manaphy so that your Manaphy can't be sableyed. And if your Manaphy's stuck in play so you don't get Raikou'd, then it doesn't really matter if they Raikou your active Lugia for... uh, Or it matters less, I would say. Like, still getting hit for 240 is not great. You don't like it, but it matters a lot less when your Manaphy is protected from the Wash so you don't get sableyed and they're not doing... 360 damage in play because lost box is a deck that can utilize pretty much most of the damage that's in play some decks can't quite take advantage of that but lost box definitely can so the wash energy on the mana fee kind of a trade-off for that matchup of course isn't going to help you when you go up against a reggie deck but um you know you don't have to respect every deck all the time and i think definitely if you're like feel like you're taking an auto loss to one of the more fringe decks like the reggies um or a tougher matchup against it's still winnable it's just it's just tough at that point without the dunsports for sure i think it's probably fine
0: and Reggie's was decently popular in day two, but it really didn't do that well. Most of the Reggie's are kind of down at yeah. the lower end of day two as well. So um, it's, I think, probably pretty reasonable to assume that Andrew did not play very many of them on the course of the weekend.
1: Yeah. Was there anything else spicy? I'm looking like at the Lugia. I don't think there was. I think uh, oh, he Calcutta had the Cotter echoing horn the wash. as well. He had the echoing yeah, the horn. horn. Yeah. I'm like glancing at some of these other uh lugia lists it looks like a lot of them so hedrick also played the um or andrew also played the the irida which of course combos well with your vacuum choice belt a little bit less good with echoing horn because you can't boss or serena the same turn you use the echoing horn but if you're putting something in play that your opponent can't like remove from play anyways um, it's still pretty good to be able to find your Echoing Horn consistently, right? Like if you can go, if you go like Irina for Echoing Horn plus Luminian for the Gust Effect next turn and you put something like, I don't know, maybe you're in the Mirror Match and they discard their Stoutland V and you just like put it on their bench. You're like, I'm going to get that next turn. You know, they have to like all of a sudden deal with them having a Stoutland on their bench, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, I think all the other lists, there's nothing too spicy. I'm like glancing through all of them right now. I mean, something definitely
0: um, to mention is the fact that Isaiah, Reagan, and John, all three made top eight with the same 60. And that wasn't yeah. the only people playing the same 60 as well. Justin Bakari and Gabe smart both got top 32 with the deck as well. The same 60. Yeah. So anytime is, you see uh... a, a testing group, you know, three people in top cut, they usually did something right. You know, when it came to how they built the deck.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's like, especially notable because I mean, it's not like there was anything like they, the only like, there's not, not like they played anything too different from other Lugia players. Right. 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 Um, but that's, that comes down to kind of the uh, I think a test more of a testament to the skill of the players and their preparation probably you know in understanding matchups probably a little bit better than you know the uh, the majority of players in the tournament right that's going to be where your big advantage for, advantage comes from when you're playing the most popular deck um, in the format right when you're playing by far the most popular tested against deck in the format um, your biggest advantage is going to be coming from from outplaying or not outplaying because I hate that term from playing better than your opponents <laughs> so yeah um yeah definitely definitely worth worth noting for sure
0: you can't outplay opponents in the pokemon tcg nope. ratazole nope
1: cannot they can either you misplay. play good
0: or they play bad
1: yeah that's about it um all right that's all the Lugias. i don't i don't really want to talk too much about Lugia, to be honest yeah, there's that's nothing fine, yeah. like we'll mention i mean i think andrew had the spiciest list for sure everything else is pretty vanilla some had bird keeper some had double choice belt austin reed um, had the
0: the Drapion v
1: Yep, Austin Reed with a Drapion V. I think there was one other card in here that was worth... Oh, canceling the only Cologne. person with Canceling Cologne, I think, yeah. in the top eight. I don't think anyone else in the top eight actually had Canceling Cologne. So and also did have both to... Bird
0: Keeper and Skyla as well. Yeah,
1: so the most prepared for anything. Cal Connor had the, the Bird Keeper uh, in their build. Yeah, Reagan, John, and uh, Bradner, none of them had Bird Keeper or Canceling Cologne. They did the Double Vacuum, which we haven't seen in a little while, I feel like, in Lugia List and Double Choice Belt. Yeah. Um, no no skyler or ierta in those builds but uh we could talk about the the other two cards, the other two decks in, in top eight uh nicholas moffitt making another top eight appearance i think it's their third this season um they've got quite a few i want to i'm gonna guess three um and it is the ray build of lost box um and they kind of stepped away from the build that they played to uh, a winning in at San Diego regionals and they play a build that is more similar to the list that Pablo actually got top 8 with at, um, it's kind of like a mix of the two I guess, there's none of the V attackers, yeah. no luminian here anymore, still bringing the Ice Q that they played at the at, uh, San Diego with the Wash energy, uh, and the biggest thing here for me, I think that stands out the most, is a, a tech for the mirror match in the double Manaphy um, definitely very strong, the, the basically the goal in the mirror match is KO Manaphy and then use Raikou or Greninja to draw two prize cards in one turn um, and every turn, you're like, you're trying to get to Sableye as soon as possible to KO the Manaphy, um, and then use Raikou or Greninja the following turn to take two prize cards. So your opponent's probably trying to do the same thing to you, so your goal becomes find Ordinary Rod, recover Manaphy, uh, put it back into play, stop the snipe. But with two Manaphy, that's way easier than, uh, that. you're going to have a way easier time with that than your opponents are. So really interesting tech. I actually really, I mean, it worked out, right? Like, um, there was... 20 percent of the the format was lost box so it sounded like it was a really good medical there from uh from moffat
0: yeah and also you know mentioned the wash energy obviously the main pair i would say is usually on the ice cube Ooh, but
1: i didn't even think about that yeah
0: really good on the manaphy and the mirror match as well okay, that right? makes me
1: that actually makes me dislike the second manaphy like if you have wash for your manaphy why do you play two manaphy that actually makes me dislike the second manaphy <laughs> i guess it's still okay um because you want to kill ko the manaphy's well it's eight, a little eight, easier as as to possible. find the
0: second Manaphy than it is to find the one Wash Energy. This like, you true. have have to play Raihan to find the Wash Energy, pretty much, right?
1: Yeah, but I feel like you can set up some combo. You know, by the time they KO your first fee, you could set up some combo of Recover Manaphy Wash Energy. Um, yeah, I didn't even, like, think about that, to be honest. I and mean, we literally just talked about it within the Lugia deck. I am tired, but... It definitely makes me actually like the second Manaphy a lot less. But it makes me like the the combination of the SQ plus wash energy a lot more from Moffitt's list in San Diego. I didn't even think about that combination to be honest. But that's actually super sick for the mirror match. I guess like it could get bossed, so you still want the yeah. And I will say too,
0: I think Manaphy is also solid against the Lugia matchup as well, because they've only got two boss usually. So they gotta find them and use them at the exact right times, and which they obviously can do with Luminion. But if they bring up and KO your first Manaphy. And they're threatening Raikou, you're usually scrambling to get it back, like you said, but it's a lot easier to just go get your well, second enemy that's already yeah. in the deck. Yeah. Yeah, definitely so that's another yeah, matchup definitely. where it's solid.
1: Yeah, for sure. And also, I guess, like another matchup that has come up, well, that one wouldn't really matter. And I'm not going to mention it because
0: I. Reggie's or something. I,
1: no, I was gonna say the Gujra matchup they can use Greninja, but like, when are they ever gonna go Gus your Manaphy that aggressively where you care? I don't think it actually comes up. Sure. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah, the two Manaphy is definitely pretty cute. Yeah, and if you ever go against a Lugia deck and they get two turns of double Prize card KOs, they usually just win. Like that's why KOing Stoutland is so important in the matchup once they use it, because otherwise if they get to go Stoutland twice in a row, they usually just win. So now everyone's playing Raikou so if they get to go Stoutland plus Raikou at some point, they usually just win as well. So the always having the Manaphy in play. In case they boss it up. Also, you know, sometimes you prize Manaphy, which kind of sucks. And you do play the heavy ball. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to find your, your one of heavy ball as well. Whereas the quick ball, you have three quick ball in the deck. So, a little bit easier to find a quick ball to the Manaphy if it is prized. So, the chance of you prize is a little bit lower as well. So yeah, double Manaphy was cute. And then from the Mew deck, uh, the advanced technology uh, made a comeback. Not quite uh, uh, everything that we saw Xander play in the advanced technology Mew in uh san diego but had uh, some extra sp- some different spice in here in the leafy camo poncho um from grant hayes who got top eight with this Mew build
0: yeah the leafy camo poncho it's a tool that if it's attached to one of your pokemon v max or v star you prevent all effects of supporters done to that pokemon so the main thing for it being if your Mew v max gets hit you can move it to the bench and they cannot boss's orders to ko it and that's really useful because V Max has a lot of hit points and sure you could psychic leap it back into the deck, but a lot of times psychic leaping in especially like the Lugia matchup will really lose you a lot of tempo. Um, and so you can effectively remove the opportunity for your opponent to take that easy three prize KO on your bench, potentially depending on yeah. how much damage they did to it uh, and still put on pressure by attacking with uh, a clean V max. That's a little harder for them to KO and then, usually, I mean, you've still got that MUV max on your bench, so you can come up and let that be your last attacker. You don't care how much damage is on it if you're taking your last knockout, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. I will mention, though, that I think I saw Grant Hayes tweet out that the Leafy Camel Pancha was useless, uh, and they thought it was a (laughs) terrible inclusion. So I will mention that. Sure. Now, maybe they just didn't get the utility they possibly could have gotten out of it in this tournament, and maybe it's a little bit better than even they think. I think the the only other thing I'll mention here, the big charms in here, which I think is a pretty cool tech. It's good against Lugia, it's good against Reggies. Uh, but the lack of the Collapse Stadium actually kind of surprised me, to be honest. Um, I thought I know like when we've seen the Collapse Stadium before, it hasn't been alongside the Aerodactyl usually, because you know it has a lot to kind of fit in. Also, no heavy ball in here as well. So if you prize the aerodactyl V in the Lugia matchup, kind of just can't find it. But this deck can just kind of beat Lugia without the Aerodactyl as well, right? You don't need it, it's just kind of there to help your win percentage against Lugia. So when you go first. You can try and just go for the turn two Aerodactyl and shut down the Lugia, and kind of uh, go from there. So yeah, the Aerodactyl Mew build, being the Mew to uh, step up and and get a top eight. So Mew, you know, continuing its top eight streak, I guess, um, but did not perform. Uh, but I guess I guess besides that, also performed decently, but no nowhere in comparison to how well Lugia did.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, Lugia. It was really another just Lugia dominating tournament, and that's really all the unique things in top eight. But if we just go a little farther down there are some other things definitely worth talking about. And one of those definitely being Ian Rob. last week, we did talk a little bit about some of the old decks, like old, you know, dark horse decks that were obviously top tier last season being Arceus V star and Palkia V star. Where would they stand? Would we see a resurgence? And Ian Rob did bring back the Palkia just a little bit. Mm-hmm. This list is. You know, got a lot of options in it, right? You've got the Articuno, so you can do the Paralysis lock up against the Lugias. So probably a good meta call from Ian, seeing the trend of a lot of people removing those Bird Keepers. So he's got that Articuno-Jelly combo uh, to lock up those Lugias if need be and um of course palkia v star is still just a really solid hitter he's got the ice Q in here which is with the double wash energy which is going to be great against lost box and the reggies and then for the things like gudra and arceus duraludon we've got big old cribbomitable v where if you put (laughs) four damage onto either an arc duraludon or uh, arc duraludon if you put four (laughs) damage (laughs) onto either a duraludon Or a Gudra, you can KO it with the destroyer. Is
1: four enough if Gudra attacked?
0: Yes, yes. I did this math on the stream because I was questioning. I'll believe you.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, I actually hit Ian in round. uh, I won my first round, so I was nine and one. So I hit Ian in round 11. And it's a terrible matchup for me because I was playing the control deck. The deck just has too many options. Um, so, yeah, terrible matchup for me. And I actually predicted, once I heard what Ian was playing, all the stuff that he had in there, and knowing that a majority of the Lugia players had cut their Bird Keeper, but it, which makes the paralysis stuff a very good call, uh, I actually predicted Ian to win the win the tournament. Um, but Ian did end up coming a little bit short and bubbled. Um, out of top cut. Um, but, yeah, my prediction was for Ian to win the tournament. The deck is a little bit clunky, of course, but um, I think it was... Uh, was a really solid play, a really solid call there from Ian, and it had like all the right techs, right? Drapion for Mew. The lost box matchup is still sketchy, even with the lost city in the SQ, but um, you can kind of manage it for sure. Uh, and then of course, the Crabominable was a super good play to you know beat the the Goudros and the Arcturanos. This is not the first time we've seen the Crabominable in Palkia either. People were playing at Worlds to beat Mewtwo the Union, yeah. James, um, so uh, yeah, super sick run from Ian. Unfortunately, wasn't able to get into the top eight and then maybe push for the dub. Um, but uh, yeah, I still think moving forward, this is definitely like a deck that is kind of a threat, right? Especially maybe just like the idea of using what's it called more so than anything, just paralysis, right? Like if the Bird Keepers are staying out of these Lugia decks overall, um, I mean, Zacrom can make a comeback even.
0: Yeah, and I think the fact that this deck did not make top eight. <laughs> You're muted s- chip. Am I?
1: I'm not. <laughs> Wait, did I, am I Did I do something?
0: Yes, you Wait, did. Wait, what? All right, hold on. Uh, wait, can you hear me now? Okay, now I can hear you. <laughs> okay, it's my bad. I I hit a Discord hotkey. My bad. <laughs> I was not I was not muted for the podcast people, but I'm not recording audio through Discord anymore. So <laughs> okay, All
1: that's right. why. Yeah, we what we're we talking, talking about.
0: Um. Yeah, I was saying like maybe the fact that this deck did not make top eight will you know it it won't scare anyone into putting the bird keeper back into lugia right yeah i could
1: could definitely see that i think it's whereas
0: if this deck is in top eight top four even wins the tournament obviously everyone's gonna be having their switching cards back in lugia so uh yeah i'm interested to see what knoxville and ocic metas are gonna look like as far as the meta of the paralysis right like how much does lugia respect these different things
1: yeah, and even then, I guess you could still like we could you could even see the deck like the Articuno and Talion deck could make a comeback, and that deck can beat a one bird keeper. It struggles against like stuff like Eldegoss Bird Keeper and stuff like that, but it can beat if you only have one bird keeper. It can definitely beat the one bird keeper. So, um, and then I guess speaking of interesting decks, I could take a look at uh, control decks. I guess the first thing I could do is I I guess I talked a little bit about the the build I play. Like I said, Isaiah got eleventh. Uh, once again, had the, had enough points to potentially make top cut, but couldn't quite do it. Um, and like I said, really close to uh, really close to Sanders' build that Sanders recently got a top eight with at Liverpool. Um, except instead of the flying Pikachu, got the Eskew in there with the four watch. Like I said, it beats some of the other potential common cards in Lost Box decks. and handles them a little bit better because you you don't actually have to go to like a lone Eskew. To beat a lot of lost box decks, you get your Manaphy and play with your Wash, which shuts down Raikou. Uh, and then you build up an SQ star attacking with it. And you
0: can have like other I, stuff I, I, in Azul, play, like the. I got to tell up? you, bro. It's Ice Q. Ice Q. <laughs> <Ice Cube. laughs> <laughs> Ice Q and play. He'll get it right someday, guys. He'll get it right someday. Uh, You can set
1: up your. You can even just go look at set up a second ice Q, and then you just kind of leave unfaced fat Snorlax on your bench. So whenever they escape rope, you just push that up. And if they want to commit a full Rayquaza attack to KO Snorlax, you're kind of fine with that. If they want to like knock out your Snorlax, that's fine. Also, Snorlax is a ridiculously good attacker. I actually like KO'd many Archeops, (laughs) many double. I got many double Archeops KOs with the Snorlax at the tournament. So. Um yeah the deck was super, and yeah of course your your Lugia matchup not your Lugia matchup yeah your Lugia matchup is just a straightforward Yvetol plus Sydney plus yeah, bossing Old up Gossalus stuff yeah Galarmine's pretty good you never actually get to the other loop pretty much you always just like run them out of energy first yeah if but you need like, to though you can yeah 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 well the more the more immediate win condition is actually just attacking with Snorlax Usually just like usually attacking with snarks before you'd ever get to an Elder loop. And you're just because like, right. they have
0: no energy anyway. Yeah, right? they
1: have no energy. Yeah. You may as well just start sw- you may as well just thumping snore. <laughs> and just yeah, wake up
0: double heads. Like. yeah, the deck was super fun.
1: I definitely this is the most fun I've had playing Pokemon in a while is playing this deck up against Lost Box. It's just like the, the Lugia matchup's kind of nerve-wracking because it is still pretty close. Like, it's definitely favorable, solidly favorable. I think I went seven and one against Lugia's overall throughout the tournament. Um and play against some I played against some pretty good players. Gustavo, Reagan. Um, I lost to John on stream, of course. So I played against some pretty solid players in Lugia matchups as well. Um, So you got a saw Lugia matchup, but it's nerve wracking. Cause like, you know, all, all of a sudden one turn they're swinging and it's like, if you don't hit your double to give uh, it all away their energy, they get another swing off. And then, then you could be in all, all of a sudden like a bad spot, but the deck's pretty consistent about being the matchup, but definitely the lost box matchup was super fun with this deck. Um, Like I said, it's, there's a lot of tricky things they can do, but it definitely feels like it feels like a favorable matchup overall. But it's like an enjoyable matchup, like where they have win conditions, you have win conditions, and you really have to strategize around the current board states and what they have left for resources, what you have left for resources. So it's like some of the most fun I've had playing Pokemon in a long time was this deck up against uh, Lost Box. I'm sure the Lost Box players I played up against weren't having as much fun once I got kind of my <laughs> ideal board state set up, but I was having a good time.
0: As it all ended up shaking out, right? Like Control is one of those decks where we always talk about like the cooldown period. You know, it's Mm -hmm. really strong, but you got to make sure that it goes through the necessary cooldown period where people aren't, you know, after it gets played, people aren't teching for it or ready for it in some capacity. Um, Looking at just the results, do you feel like Control ended up being, like, are you happy with the decision that Control was the deck you guys landed on for this event?
1: Yeah, I think it was fine. I think we had some un... Fortunate variants, especially for how popular Lugia was overall. Lugia and Lost Box. Like I would have liked to have definitely hit more Lugias than Lost Boxes. I got, I mean I hit quite a few. Um, would have liked to have hit a couple more, but um, I think I got the uh, the better end of the matchups um, as opposed to some of my group who hit. You know, they were hitting like on players who like had choice belts and stuff. So <laughs> I was the fortunate one for sure. Um, <laughs> but we actually weren't the only control deck in day two. Um, other one was piloted by manual soto yep right, right? yeah with a, a really cool build of control as well it's similar win conditions to the uh deck that we played you got the yiva for the lugia matchup you got ice q in there for the lost box matchup but then because this deck also runs ditto you got some some other funky squad in here especially everyone's new favorite card in the uh in the calyrex
0: look at the legs man it's unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was definitely a, a much different take. It felt almost like a mix of like older control and newer control, right? It took some of the things that Sander did with the um, instead of flying Pikachu, having the ice ski, right? So similar to what you guys landed on. Uh, mm-hmm. having the Reggie lecky as an option but you know had the chinchino in there for the draw support the draw assistance as opposed to just relying fully on the snorlax and only had the two evil tall but that is because you can of course use cry destruction with the ditto now ditto is a little squishier right ditto can be ko'd by an aqua return a little bit easier right it, it does it does even still get ko'd even if it has like a cape on it right yeah there's not even any capes in this list so yeah it yeah. goes down to to, to the the Luminion pretty easily, and even Tall goes down to Lumineon in this list now, I'm realizing as well, which is kind of a issue. Isn't that kind of something you want to have those capes on the tall so they can't really do that?
1: You want to try and minimize it happening as much as possible, but you can, like, mitigate it by, you know, like, bossing stuff up, trapping stuff with that, Galarmine. But yeah, not having actually any way to stop that is actually interesting. And there's also no Radiant Pokemon in this deck, so there could just be a Radiant Guard war in here to stop it, at least on the Evital. Your dittos are still going down. Um... But you have so many other attacking options in this deck. Like you got the Torment from the Morpico. You got Jinx with the Alluring Dance to kind of be that uh, pseudo Gust effect. You don't get to use Yuvatal in the same turn you Gust, but of course there is still like a boss in here and stuff. So um, it definitely has more win conditions and stuff your opponent has to play around as opposed to the other build of control. But of course it's less consistent about doing uh, any one thing, to be honest. And actually, I like looking at this list, I think this, like one of the things that this would definitely struggle against, I think you'd probably just struggle up against a. Build of uh, uh, a build of Lost Box that has an Echoing Horn. Like I think this would just lose to Echoing Horn Lost Box. I mean, you could try and catch it with the Misfortune Sisters, but this this build can't really build to a board state where your opponent can't just be KOing everything with Sable Eye and then go Echoing Horn Escape Rope Escape Rope or Escape Rope Boss KO your SQ that you got down to a lone SQ and then just kind of clean up from there. So
0: yeah, but um, this but of version course, of the deck gets to play the Sandile, and that's, that's a true. win in my book, right?
1: Yeah, you can't. Uh, and sleep on that four energy dredge up uh <laughs>
0: attack to but mill the fact that cards. you can just be using some whatever other attack with ditto and then you just like discard the sand dial attach another energy and boom dredge up like you, you i'm sure especially in combination with misfortune sisters there was probably some surprise mills with like five or six cards left in deck that people didn't see coming
1: yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, this deck, there's there's a lot more win conditions, but all of your win conditions are less consistent. I even just realized there's only four doubles in this deck as well. There's two double turbo, two twin. Like you have a little bit more draw power through the, the through the uh Sencino, but um, yeah, definitely way less consistent in the uh or way more win conditions, but way less consistent win conditions as well for sure. There's just yeah. a lot of stuff in here. You have a lot of options, but. Uh,
0: and does have Sometimes the Silene yelchir loop, right, to go infinite. Yeah. Theoretically, if you don't flip a bunch of tails, there's the pad as well, so.
1: Yeah, so you have an infinite in there as well.
0: And then I guess it is even still infinite because you can Regieleki back the pad, right? Or yeah. even just Regieleki back the Yelchir, yeah. For, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> You're not running out of resources, probably, but you have to make sure you find enough resources soon enough to stop your opponent from winning the game before you need to worry about you running out of resources. So that's going to be the, uh, the bigger deal for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, super interesting build. It's cool to see more different types of control decks being built. Control is always one of my favorite variants. So um, it's definitely cool to see that there's different ways to play it right now for sure.
0: We can talk about Gudra as well as one of the more played decks. And it was really close to eating top eight. Michael Bergerak yep. actually lost two winning ends. So if it, just either one it of those three. games. Really? Three? Yeah. I think it was. Oh, three yeah, he, <laughs> I think he did start like 10 like 1 at least, like maybe 11 1, something like yeah. that. Like he started super strong and then just fizzled out there at the end but yeah has the Gudra, and uh similar to uh, we were talking about that before the cast it feels like his list is a kind of combination of stefan's list and then like the more traditional list right he's got the vip passes in here but he's got the the double roxanne that stefan had and kind of his addition to the deck his little tweak and flair would be the inclusion of one copy of cheryl so mm-hmm. not only do you have that moisture star to get your healing, but you can also slap down a Cheryl to get some additional healing as well.
1: Yeah, the Cheryl in there for some additional healing at some point. Um, especially when like you're you're, you're kind of prolonging games with Gujra, like you're gonna be able to get through your deck with your chulresses uh, or draw into it off at a rock and actually probably be able to get to utilize it. And also, um, it's kind of like almost like a more convenient way to set up an extra Gujra. Instead of actually setting up another Gudra, just going Cheryl plus attached plus Mirage Gate is like more efficient than going bench Guja V. Gudra V Star, get the attachment, get the Mirage Gate. Like it just almost feels like it's actually just going more. And not to having that
0: Gudra get bossed on the turn. Yeah, it exactly. As well, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like it allows you to extend the the value of the Gudra you do have set up. So actually the Cheryl is pretty cool. I do actually like that that inclusion, um, for sure. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the three battle VIP pass tilts me a little bit, but finding more, ba- <laughs> you, need to, you need to find so many basics on the and first
0: the three turn. capture energy too.
1: That one I'm actually fine with if you had the battle VIP pass. You gotta fit the battle VIP passes somehow. So this is actually what I was talking about with Guja on stream before the tournament. Um, I was like, I want to get battle VIP passes in this list, but I just I'm not putting as much time into the deck right now to figure out what to cut. Um, so like from Stefan's list, you know, this is like minus two quick ball, minus capture, plus two battle VIP pass. Right? I think that would make sense. I think that's that's what I was trying to like figure out. I was like, I want to cut some of the more consistent basic search for battle VIP passes. Cause I feel like the lack of explosive starts is what's kind of hurting the overall win percentage of the deck. Um, so I like the, I like where, where, Bergerak was headed with this build for sure. Having the, having the heavy captures, having some quick balls, but then also trying to get as many battle VIP passes in there as possible just to have a little bit more explosive of starts. So yeah, I really like where they, where they ended up with this build for sure. And that's probably it. This is how I would like to, would look to play Gudra moving forward. But, I actually probably just wouldn't recommend playing Gudra. <laughs> when you have an unfavorable matchup to Lugia, I feel like it's not worth playing the deck, to be honest.
0: And there are a few more in top 32. Both Glenn Duyord and Joe Turrentine also played the Gudra, got top 32, and they were both on two copies of the Drapion V for that Mew matchup, which otherwise I think is pretty unfavored. But I mean, if you just put two Drapion in any deck, you auto win Mew pretty much, right? Like, I mean, it makes your matchup like 85 at, 15. At, like, it's so good.
1: Yeah, and another switch up that both these players had. Yeah, so they're not losing a Mew, Uh, and they both play Choice Belts, um, over the Zigzagoon. Um, so this allows you to. The the reason to play the Zigzagoon is to KO the Stoutland aggressively. Like that can be a big deal in the Lugia matchup because if the Stoutland can sit there and get like uh, two KOs on Comby's or something, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, It also allows you to KO V Pokemon, right? Like turn two KO a Lugia V. Of cool, you can do that with goon as well, but you have to work a little bit harder, right? Actually, I don't know, you, it's like different, right? Because you don't have a way to search the choice belt out of your deck, but to do the goon, you have to like search out the goon and then also have a scoop of net for the goon. So, I don't know, I guess I'm not sure how I feel about choice belt versus goon. Uh, it also allows you to beat control, though, right? It allows you to, to to get through the Eldegoss loop. Um, so you have that going for you uh, as well. And it might make a difference in the Arceus, it does make a difference in the Arceus to round on matchup actually as well because you actually two hit KO through a hyper potion. With the choice belt, so it does actually make a difference in the a matchup as well, which is unfavorable. Um, without the choice belts, I feel like so. I guess there's there's a couple situations where the choice belts actually do come up.
0: Um, but yeah, it lose, actually
1: was on the consistency that the goon is because you can just quick ball for the goon.
0: It kind of, um, we saw in the stream game for Michael, he was on, I believe, in round 14, and I'm pretty sure if I remember right, it was against Reagan. And there was a couple times where if he Could have KO'd a basic V, like a Lugia V, he would have just won the game. It would have either like cleared Reagan's only Lugia out of play, or it would have like just gotten him the prizes he needed to close it out. I don't remember the exact situations off the top of my head, but um, he couldn't find the whole combo of, you know, Zigzagoon plus um, scoop up net, or like his bench was full, so he needed to scoop up net plus Zigzagoon plus scoop up net again, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It just didn't quite have everything at the right time. Choice Belt is a little bit more straightforward you can't search it but it does allow you to use your scoop up nets more directly into the comfies right so you have a little bit more dig whereas you're not having to commit scoop up nets to the zigzagoon or save them for the zigzagoon maybe i should say
1: yeah um but also we see so we saw one reggie was in the top 32 uh, there was an arceus to rally on that even though i hate it on, i hate on it the 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 eternatus wheezing also uh coming in at 32nd place um i didn't actually there was a wheezing crobat in day two i did not know that um so a quad wheezing deck actually was uh was out here interesting
0: i hadn't looked at this one just yet either so yeah that's definitely interesting really focused on the disruption um i mean it's got the 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 crobat v and the v max in here it's not straight quad wheezing so there's a little bit more spice going on but if you start crobat you just go turn two stealth poison ideally right
1: yeah, I guess. I mean, you can still pull off. You got the four shake, so You could still get to a coffee and get into a wheezing on that turn, right? And this has that leafy um, ca-
0: camo poncho in it as well to protect the crobats on the bench. So that's actually kind of cool because you, if you get to a board state of just like a couple wheezings and a crobat with the leafy camo poncho, you've got a really hard hitter and your opponent can't gust out of the, um, you know whatever yeah which is like one second.
1: of the which is like the strength of Weezing up against the Lugia deck specifically is that you know you got a Weezing you're active and if you only have Weezing on your bench they just can't uh they can't do anything um so they they can't gust around uh they can't they can't bring up anything that's not Weezing to take the knockout and that's why like Quad Weezing has such a good Lugia matchup but that's why Eternatus Weezing uh, has like a, a slightly unfavorable Lugia matchup is because you have so many things on your bench. Like for the Eternatus Wheezing to play the game, you have to bench Crobats, you have to bench Alternatives, And most Lugia decks play three to four gust effects. And if they know they're up against the Eternatus Wheezing, they could even use Luminion on like turn one to go get a gust effect out of their deck depending on how good their hand is. And uh, you know, can get around um, the Wheezing pretty reasonably um, but it's a little bit harder in a deck like this and even though you do have the crowbat you do have that poncho to make it so if they by the time you get it to the v max maybe they won't have time to have had the gust that turn and you get to the v max you still have that heavy hit hitter for the late game you get the poncho on it so your opponent can't take advantage of the uh of the v pokemon being in play so they can't serena or boss it
0: and then we've got another deck to talk about vikavolt there's a couple of those in day two looks like six um and four of them were i would assume the kind of more traditional list what we saw from gibby with his win um, but there was two of them that were Vikavolt Regieleki in day two of the, the tournament as well, so that's kind of cool to see.
1: I don't think we had really seen... Had we seen any Regieleki VMAX Vikavolt decks or Vikavolt decks in day two up to this point? I don't know if we had, to be honest.
0: There was one, um, it looks like, in day two of Toronto, one in day two of uh, LAIC, but that is it. Other than that, it has been the other builds of Vikavolt
1: that okay, makes sense and that does make sense because the aerodactyl is such a big game changer in the matchup i'm looking at one of these lists now though but i guess the one card that this deck did potentially gain to uh give it a little bit of the boost is the sky seal stone right um for the prize trade so that's what i see in one of these lists here is the sky seal stone so that that is potentially a gain and makes it maybe worth it at this point maybe it's worth it to play uh what you like v max over the aerodactyl i don't think you're ever playing both that seems like a lot to fit into a deck so i think you have to pick between them if you want your deck to function and actually make day two um <laughs> but yeah it's cool to see the uh reggie lucky v max get there might be good uh i might, might finally see it like really take off after rotation but i still don't think it's probably in a great spot overall i think vikavolt in general is still meh like uh, yeah people a lot of people have clones in the lugia but with vikavolt not doing well maybe see the clones get cut and then maybe we'll see Vault like take down OCIC or something with the Aerodactyl once again. Now that, uh, is that just like how it's gonna go? Stuff's gonna go in and out. Like, is it time for Aerodactyl and Par- Paralysis stuff to come back? What are the Lugia players playing moving forward? I guess because it's gonna be a big question for a
0: lot of these fringe decks. So let's talk through. Uh, is there any other interesting deck you want to mention in day two? I think that kind of covers most yeah, of the things think I had it. noticed. Um, um, I guess I'll
1: mention uh, Makani, uh, top 64 playing the, uh, uh the arceus box deck once again so it did show up in day two at the very least um and i think the one of the few people probably playing the deck to begin with but still made day two um but yeah no i think that is that's the only that's the only other thing that i saw um, one more yeah, yeah one
0: more i just remembered that we said we oh, want peter's to talk deck. about uh who'd you say peter i was gonna say victor
1: <laughs> oh okay yeah
0: but both of those honestly yeah. so we think of two more right <laughs> Right, go ahead, so, you go first let, with Victor. Yeah, let's look at Victor's deck. So, yeah, we talked about this a little bit. Or you mentioned it, actually, um a little bit last week because it had done well in Liverpool, right? So the, this deck had um, gotten day two, top 32, I think, right? And, yeah, Victor, I think, saw and ended up going with this deck. Yeah, so the Turbo Lost Box, it is a Kyogre build of the deck, but it is a deck that's built around getting... The turn one Mirage Gate and just yep. putting on so much pressure, and ideally it's going to be turn one Dragonite to just one hit KO whatever your opponent has because nothing in the game yep. that's a basic Pokemon has more than 250 HP, so yeah, nothing
1: surviving um, it.
0: Uh, yeah, even like duraludon V, right, with its ability, it still takes 250, right, it still gets KO'd. So ends up working out so yeah really cool build we actually got to see this one on stream i didn't watch or cast that game that was like my off round that i was out in the field kind of looking at other decks that were were happening but i walked backstage and all the other casters uh were like yo that game was crazy (laughs) (laughs) because he was just popping off he played against diego casiraga on the stream i think it was round 13 or so something like that um yeah apparently a super cool build of the deck and uh then peter kika also playing a unique build of the lost box that you wanted to mention
1: um <clears throat> uh yeah peter's build i guess like the pro- that's probably the spiciest lost box that uh was out there had the amazing rare kyogre which is a card that i've like always thought about in lost box but i'm always like everyone has Manaphy, seems pretty hard to pull off um, and peter was like that is pretty hard to pull off and even if they have mana fee, i'm gonna make it a little bit harder on myself to pull off the combo but i'm gonna give myself a shot you not only played the amazing rare kyogre played a boss's orders and also played a canceling cologne so even if they got the mana fee you can get around it if you can't ko it before you want to use your kyogre Uh, for anyone that doesn't know the amazing Rare kyogre for a water lightning metal and a colorless so four energies it does 80 damage to each of your opponent's pokemon so you can set up some crazy board states maybe against lugia but the where you're really getting the value out of this card i think is in the mirror match or even potentially up against mew where you can kind of just like spread a bunch of damage on genesex and then clean them up later with like sable eyes or something like that
0: yeah definitely a cool build Kyogre, I mean, all these amazing rare Pokemon have so much potential thanks to Mirage Gate now, right? These are cards that everyone's kind of known, like, oh, their attacks are super strong, but it's impossible to provide their energy requirements. Yeah. But now we have the way with the Mirage Gate. So, yeah, even at the end of the Sword and Shield uh, life cycle, the end of the life cycle of these amazing rare Pokemon, they're getting one last raw with the Mirage Gates. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, one now last we just... Moment. We're almost at the point where we've seen all of them. What other amazing rares do we need to see? Something from, like, Reshiram, something like that?
1: Yeah, I think Reshiram is the one we haven't seen. uh, Because I think even uh, uh, Pram got on stream with the amazing realization. Didn't use it in the matchup because they were up against Reggie. But... Mm -hmm. um... So, yeah, it might just be. And Rush Ram, it's funny. That's funny because Rush Ram was the most hyped one with Mirage Gate coming out. Everyone was hyping up Mirage Gate, Rush Ram. No one was talking about any of the other amazing rares. I was like, oh, you can do these, but Rush Ram do 270 damage with Mirage Gate. That's so easy. Uh, and yeah, Rush Ram has been the worst or the the least played from what I've seen and probably the worst out of all of them, to be honest. Um, oh, Zamazenta is probably worse. I take it back. Ooh, we also have a Celebi. Celebi is also pretty bad. All right. Yeah, yeah but the Celebi was
0: played. Remember, Celebi was played in. That's true. In, Urshifu. in Urshifu, right to counter, counter to Hoopa. Hoopa. So right. even even mm-hmm. it had its time. Jirachi is not great, but it's obviously not an attacking one where all these yeah. other ones you want to attack with for the most part. Jirachi, Jirachi was more... also
1: good in the uh the Tool Drop Whimsicott deck or whatever that was. What was that deck? I forget I mean, what the deck was. Come on, bro.
0: I mean, the deck yeah, was okay. Sure.
1: The deck was like solid. We just <laughs> never had real tournaments around then. It would have had its moment if if we had tournaments back then. There would have been someone in day two with the the Women's got deck
0: was cool. That deck was cool, super Great. cool, man. Super cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was awesome for sure. But right, yeah, I let's think let's that, uh, you got it. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and recap some of our predictions from last week because we made a few claims, a few things that we thought were going to happen. We were right about some. We were pretty wrong about others. Actually, I think we were more wrong than we were right, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so we set the over-under for Lugia. How many Lugias we thought were going to be in top eight? We put it at the 2.5, and we both took the under. We both said we thought there was going to be less than 2.5 Lugias in top eight. Two or less. So we were obviously both pretty wrong there, as there were six Lugias uh, in top eight. You know, it is what it is. We can't win them all. And we didn't win this one either because highest finishing crown Zenith card. I don't remember what either of us said, but I don't think either of us thought it was going to be the Calyrex. That's right. It's the 18th place control list with the Calyrex. That was the highest finishing crown zenith card is this the biggest surprise of all of these do you think is all that there wasn't something that did better or the fact that the one that did the best was the calyrex
1: yeah i mean i think it would have been i think we predicted zamazenta or sky seal Stone. i forget which yeah. one but we definitely both picked one of those Um, uh, it's not that surprising right because we even talked about the card being as a replacement for starly in the control deck potentially so i don't think it's that big of a surprise but yeah it definitely would have been my first prediction i, uh, I would have even predicted say... uh, oh go ahead
0: Man- Manuel, the guy who played the Calyrex, did say that Starly was better after the tournament because <laughs> of having one retreat. So,
1: yeah, yes, I definitely, yeah, it's, uh, the having one retreat is a pretty big deal. Also, just not doing damage is probably also nice as well, to be honest, because I don't think you actually want to KO anything. You'd rather your opponent's Pokemon get stuck there for sure. Um, and then, uh, I, I mean, a card that I would have predicted probably to be over the Calyrex would have been rating Eternatus, but there was zero in day two. We were so hype on this card. Do you think this solidifies it as being uh, not worth it? Like, is it just, is the card not it?
0: Not in this meta. Post-rotation, <laughs> things slow down, maybe, right?
1: Got some hope for it.
0: Yeah, I got some hope for it. I mean, because stuff like Shadow Rider Calyrex, Regieleki VMAX, like these are really strong VMAX yeah. Pokemon that are still in the format alongside Radiant Eternatus. Um, So we'll see. But yeah, in this format... I, it's just not it yeah it's just not it i mean <laughs> someone still might come up with something cool right ocic is this uh is next weekend so that'll be the first showing for any non-american player that didn't come yeah. to orlando there was a few players from both europe and latin america that came up to yeah. orlando as well most the decent amount of latin america players honestly that came a up, lot of the um
1: there's been a decent amount of Latin American players at quite a few of the the regionals so far, actually in North America.
0: Yeah, I mean, they don't have regionals in their region, right? Yeah, I so. mean, they, they
1: may as well come over. Yeah, There's no reason so. not to. <laughs> yeah, so, Diego and Gustavo were were both mm-hmm. there. Two of the two of the most notable
0: for sure. So at O C I C, it'll be kind of the first crack that any European or Australian or you know anyone else who's going uh, and Japanese players as well going to O C I C. Like, I mean, and they so like we saw. um uh, Shintaro playing a Radiant Eternatus deck on one of those Japanese tournament live streams, right? So, like, you know, it's very possible we'll see one of them bring something really cool like that, right?
1: Yeah, I can't wait for them to show up with Lugia with three lost, with, with three vacuums. It's going to be sick. Let's get
0: in. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, we said that we thought Mew would maybe be the second most popular deck. Or, like, I think one of the questions, one of our predictions was, would Mew be the second most popular deck still? And I think it would have been if you broke the Lost Box decks down into archetypes, yeah. right? If you broke it up between Rayquaza and then, you know, Zamazenta, Kyogre, Kyogre. Sky Seal Stone stuff, right? I think that Lost Box is just a deck right now that doesn't have any direction. Like, people don't yeah. know what the best Lost Box deck is. It probably is still Rayquaza. Kyogre is obviously still pretty strong, but... Um feels like a lot more people have game plans for it or are prepared for the Kyogre and it's a little harder to game plan for Rayquaza that just one hit KOs you right so yep. um the best way to game plan for Kyogre or for Rayquaza is to just play a lot of Marnie in your your deck right um, yeah but yeah so Mew I think we're I'll, I'll give ourselves this one because it was probably the second most played deck if you break down the lost box but if we're grouping lost box together yeah we didn't get this one right either
1: yeah, I mean, that's even what I said. I said if, if Lost Box, like all Lost Box decks combined will definitely outplace Mew, is what I said last time on the cast, I'm pretty sure. So um, I think we're definitely on point with this one. And then we also predicted uh, what deck we thought would win. And neither of us wanted to pick Lugia, of course, because that's the easy answer. I picked Lost Box because it was definitely a top deck that I was considering. Uh, Chip picked Mew, and neither of us, of course, were right because it was a Lugia mirror in the finals. But the other two decks in top eight besides Lugia were a Lost Box and a Mew. So I think we get, you know, some... uh. Brownie points for that one or whatever. Yeah, and I guess
0: you you technically would win this one as well because Nick Moffitt made top four, whereas Grant Hayes only got to top eight, only got to top eight of the largest regionals ever. But (laughs) yeah, our predictions were not on point this week. Maybe we'll do a little better with OCIC next week. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully a
1: little bit better. But uh, I think that wraps up our coverage of Orlando. We're going to move on to everyone's favorite segment of the podcast. Guess that flavor text where one of us picks a card and then reads a the flavor text off that card for, our opponent, for the other co-host to try and guess what Pokemon that flavor text and card belongs to. The flavor text on the card belongs to. If you pick it right without using a lifeline, you get four points and there's three lifelines you can use. And for each lifeline you use, you, you use, you get one less point, point. and the lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and then read an attack name on the card. Chip, are you ready for your flavor text this week?
0: Yep, ready to take the lead once again. Hit me with it.
1: All right. <clears throat> the lump on its back contains its tiny brain. It thinks only of food
0: and escaping its enemies. Wait. I feel like we've done this one. This sounds familiar. Maybe I've read. Maybe I've just read this one and thought of giving. it I don't it think to
1: we've you. done this one before. But oh I have no, no idea what good. it is right now. I have no idea what it is right
0: now. Let me let me hear it again though. The lump on its
1: back contains its tiny brain. It only it thinks only of food and escaping its enemy. I feel like this is being really mean. <laughs> like,
0: it it thinks only only of food and its escaping enemies. its
1: enemies. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah, so, I mean this is definitely giving me like evolving basic vibes right this is something that's just a small little maybe like a normal type or something like that nothing too crazy here i'm going to use some lifelines though i'm going to start with um i'm going to go with read an attack name actually see what i can get from that body slam okay um yeah so i'm definitely thinking a normal type it thinks only of food and its enemies, right? Escaping its enemies. Escaping its enemies. It's got a lump on its back. That's where its, its not so it's, not a, it's definitely not a predator. <laughs> that, I know. Yeah, I've, I've gathered that. Yeah, I'm thinking definitely some sort of normal type. Um, maybe a basic, maybe like a stage one that still has one more step to go. I will go with uh, what set the card is from for now, though. It is from Fusion Strike. Okay, so it could be a newer Pokemon. Brain is on its back. I mean, for a second, one of the Pokemon I thought about was like Dotler, the bug Pokemon. But I don't think that has Body Slam um, because I know that Orbeetle is like a massive brain Pokemon. But so like it would make sense (laughs) that Dotler... Like, I think the Orbeetle flavor texts are absolutely crazy about, like, how it's, like, just insanely smart. So, like, it would make sense that this is something that is, you know, it's got its brain, you know, in a weird place maybe. And then when it evolves, like, you know, it's got the big brain, right? Dotler maybe could be a guess, but I doubt – does it have Body Slam? Uh, Dotler is a stage one, so let me use one more lifeline, um, and I'll go with – I actually don't know if there's a Dotler in – Fusion strike to be honest, but let me go with what stage the card is. It is a stage one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to say dotler, but th- like th- that does not sound like the type of an attack that a dotler would have. And I don't have any clue if there is one infusion strike, but I really don't have anything else, to be honest. Um like it almost sounds like a squovet, something that evolves into greedent, but you know, obviously, that's a basic. And also, I don't think squovet has its brain on its back, but the rest of it sounds like it. So, yeah, I mean, I'll just go with Dotler. It's all I got. I, I don't know if that's right. I don't think a Dotler's got body slam, but hit me with it as soon Did I get it right.
1: Yeah, I don't think Dotler does have body slam chip, but you know what does.
0: It's Sliggoo. Sliggoo. Of course. Oh, that thing's brain is definitely on its back. <laughs> sligoo. Yeah, I don't think I would have ever quite gotten to that. How do you even spell this thing, Sligoo. There we go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I, I picked a pretty hard one. I feel like this, uh, and it had, and it conveniently had body slam as well. Like if I said melt. I don't know, right, if it only had Melt as an attack, but I think Body Slam made this one actually a pretty difficult guess. So Melt might have made
0: me think it was, like, a fire type, to be honest. But, yeah, I see it's got two attacks two. here. Yeah,
1: yeah. I feel like the Body Slam would have, like, definitely made it hard if I said Body Slam.
0: yeah. And you know what's crazy is, like, I've been playing Pokemon Scarlet a lot, and in the area I've been, like, trying to complete the Pokedex recently, in the area I've been spending a lot of time in, there are just a ton of Sligoo and Goomies roaming around. So, like, (laughs) I've been looking at this thing for hours on my plane ride this morning, but nope, couldn't get it.
1: (laughs) All right, so we stay tied for this week, Chip, and I'll have a chance to hopefully pull ahead in next week. Uh, But let's go ahead and let's move on to our next topic. Um, We're talking about a decklist error, not any decklist error toward Reliff's decklist error at Orlando regionals. Um, <clears throat> so this is uh, I guess the biggest the biggest reason this has already become a thing um, and a little bit of pokey drama for us to talk about this week is because the lists were released so quickly, right? which is great. That's great. Um, and I don't know why more tournaments don't allow r k nine to release them sooner because I think the the process is the tournament organizer has to give r k nine the go ahead to release the deck lists, and they can choose not to, um, but Arcanine can't release them until they give them the go-ahead, right? I'm pretty sure that's the process that happens here, because some of them take forever to release, and some of them never get released.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think that we could be transitioning to a spot where this is like more normal that it comes up so quickly but yeah i think the first post i saw about this was alex shemansky referencing the verbank city facebook post so verbank city is a really big pokemon tcg facebook group it's been around for forever like when i started playing the game verbank was already pretty big um and that's before Twitter was really popular in the Pokemon community. That's where everyone kind of congregated and where a lot of like community discussion and things went down. But um, yeah, there was a Verbank City post today from SJ Alvarez pointing out uh, what in the tomfoolery is this? Tord prized a card that is not listed and just showed a picture of the stream game. Tord has a collapsed stadium in his prizes. And then if you look at Tord's deck list on Limitless and also on Arcanine's website, Um, Tor did not play Collapse Stadium in his list and instead played Canceling Cologne. So people, I think rightfully so, were questioning, you know, what is going on here? Why is there a card in his list that does not belong? What's happening? Did he not get deck checked this entire tournament? How did this never get resolved? And it led to a lot of people asking questions and eventually Tor just did post his own kind of statement about the situation. He said, a couple of people have asked me why my Arcanine list didn't have Collapse stadium while the list I played did. I didn't even realize my mistake until last night after the lists were publicly released. I stupidly forgot to hit the submit button, apologize for any confusion. And he shows two pictures here with both lists, the one that he did submit and then the one that was prepared that did not get submitted.
1: Yeah, and it even shows like the date and time. Actually, on the on the one that didn't get submitted, that it was created, um, prior the to the tournament of yeah,
0: the yeah, morning the morning of. of the tournament. So
1: Tord definitely planned to play the collapse stadium. So I don't think, um, I definitely don't think Tord was doing anything uh, malicious at all here. Just forgot to click submit. Um, the same thing happened to Sander, um, but thankfully for Sander, still played the the sixty cards that they did end up submitting. Um, and I'm sure this has happened to other players in the past as well, where they, they, they make the updated list, but they forget to click submit. And then they end up with a, um, not playing what they would have chosen, likely have wanted to choose to play. Um, this time though, unfortunately for Tord, thought they clicked submit and then played a incorrect deck list in the tournament. So a couple questions got brought up with this whole discussion of what happened uh, with this happening of like, um, uh, what could have been done i guess differently or like should something have been done differently or like should this have been caught i think the first thing that we kind of listed here to maybe talk about was just like uh, how did it not get caught on stream i guess was one of the things but when i think about that i don't know like if it's that like like the casters aren't like looking at every like you're not looking going over the full 60 cards right you're kind of looking just like for the important cards in the matchup right and discussing those i would assume or anything funky right
0: yeah it's not our job to do deck checks right we're not we're not comparing every single card it's not like when we see a card like you know when we see a card like collapse stadium in the prizes for a lugia player that's not a surprise right that's a card that a lot of people will play in their lugia deck um Now, sometimes we do catch, you know, deck list errors and things that happen on stream. And, you know, one of the reasons I want to talk about this, too, is because Tord even said I was not deck checked. And I'm honestly surprised the commentators didn't notice either during the stream match since they have access to the list. And we do have the list. We have the players list because it gives us the information necessary to kind of provide any sort of insight into what their overall strategy might be or if they're playing anything kind of unique and stuff. But usually the way it works is it's like there's two casters who are on camera. They're talking through whatever, getting ready for the next round. The other two casters are off camera. The pairings go up. They pick the match. So the casters on camera don't know what match is picked just yet. And then the players get to the table and The casters get the information in one of our monitors up there at the desk. Okay, this is the table we're taking. This is the two players. And we'll sit there and talk about the two players for a minute. And then we'll cut to the table. And then when we cut to the table, someone peeps in with the two deck lists and hands them to us in paper form. And so at that moment, we look at the lists, see what the two players are playing. And generally, we're just looking at archetypes initially, right? Trying to figure out what this is going to be, you know, Lost Box versus Lugia, you know, Reggie's Duraludon, whatever, you know, figure out just the main archetype of the deck. And then as we go into the game, we'll look through as like certain tech cards could come up in certain spots, right? So in this instance, Tord was on stream in round four against Michael Pramalot in the Lugia mirror. And if the card that was missing was canceling Cologne, they're not going to be going through the list looking for canceling clone, because that's not a card that's ever going to come up, right? And if you ever looked at a list in just deck list order, you're not going to notice like little one-ofs like that immediately, all of the time, yeah. right?
1: Especially um, when and, they don't stand out as like a something cool or interesting for the matchup, right? Exactly.
0: Exactly. Um, and conversely to that, because there was <laughs> I did want to bring this up too, because there was another incident on the stream the round before this in round number oh yeah, so toward end. Um, pram were playing in round five. In round four, we had Grant Shin versus Pablo Mesa on the stream. Uh, and Grant even commented on this. They noticed mine because, uh, Grant had a deck list error because in his deck list, we noticed right away because we were looking at the list, looking at the deck he was playing, he was playing Reggie's. And one of the first things that stood out to me as I was looking at it was that he was playing no Regieleki from Evolving Skies. Instead, he was playing two Regieleki from Astral Radiance because that is a really weird and abnormal thing to do. The fact that you would choose to play no Regieleki from Evolving Skies. Well, it turns out we get into the game, Grant benches his first Regielecki, and it's a Regielecki from Evolving Skies. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, what happened, uh, and what I think became very clear to me pretty much immediately, was Grant accidentally clicked on the wrong card when he submitted his list. Once again, a very understandable and easy mistake to make. Um, and as soon as I noticed, you know, while Skarzig was talking, I like made note to the director, like, hey, He's got the wrong card in his deck. We need to bring this to the attention of the judges, just because for tournament integrity, if we notice something, we gotta bring it up, right? It's unfortunate that it happens, but um, if I notice something, I'm not gonna let it go by, right? So we brought it up. It got brought to the head judge's attention and they came up to the stage. Grant was given a game loss for having a legal deck and a legal deck list, which is a penalty that doesn't happen that often. I mean, I guess it's not the most uncommon thing, but usually you hear like illegal deck, legal deck list, something like that. But it was legal deck, legal deck list. They just did not match. And in those instances, they make the players deck.
1: All right, you hit the you hit the I Sorry, yep. It. Yeah. So in those Here's instances,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in those instances, they make the players deck match what the deck list says. So Grant was told, hey, you have to either provide the two Regieleki from Astral Radiance and put them into your deck, or you will have to replace these two cards with basic energy. And obviously, if Grant has to replace the cards with basic energy, his tournament is over because the Reggie deck cannot function if you have zero Reggie Alecki in your deck. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm pretty sure what happened is he ran to the vendor and bought two Reggie Alecky and ran back to the stage and played game two and game three. Uh, and they did end up tying. And it honestly, it's kind of funny how it worked out as well because the Reggie Aleckys. Where the 130 HP ones, and he was playing against Pablo on stream in the Lost Box matchup. And the 130 HP Reggie are way better <laughs> in that yeah. matchup uh, because they're harder to KO. So um, I think he probably would have won that set anyway. And I think he was probably going to win game one if it had kept playing out. But yeah, he unfortunately got the game lost there. So yeah, I mean, I felt bad that that happened, but it is what it is. And um, yeah, I just wanted That'd to give that careful. insight as to to why why maybe this one instance was caught this weekend of an illegal deck list um or a messed up deck list i should say and one instance was why one instance was caught and why the other one was not
1: yeah yeah definitely um and i guess like another i guess moving on from that the uh the last thing we kind of want to talk about was connor finn winner of the previous largest regional of all time uh brought up a uh talking point of just is the current procedure of uh deck checking is it is it working like uh, the big thing is here is regionals are getting bigger right so it's harder to deck check as many people as efficiently as they have in the past right um and connor here said uh, i have played in only three regionals this season but i have day two all three at all at, at these at those two regionals i have only been deck checked once and that was before going to top eight at arlington and when you make top eight you're mandatorily deck checked like if you make top eight yeah. at a regional yes. championship you manage to get mandatorily deck checked Um, If anything, it is insane that I was undefeated for 15 rounds. It was never once deck checked. And actually, I noticed that myself recently as well. I got deck checked uh, at this tournament, Um, but the last two tournaments, and I've been in pretty good spots at both those tournaments. I did end up in top 16. Um, I was in contention for top eight. I don't think I got deck checked the last two tournaments. Besides, out of three tournaments, I've been deck checked once. So same as uh, Connor. I have day two to all of them. I did not get a top eight. So... Connor was forced to get deck checked at that, but it does seem like people are getting deck checked less often. But is that just because of the size of the tournaments?
0: Yeah, and I I don't know exactly what the process is. Maybe we should try to get some insight and talk about that in the future from one of the deck check judges on exactly how it works. I don't know exactly what they can share, but I believe the process is meant to be random, right? So they will randomly check decks during day one and day two. Um... But maybe they should weight the deck checks a little higher up in the tables, right? Like maybe it should yeah, be I, I think they do that in general though. Yeah, maybe they do as well. So that's why I'm saying. Like we we don't know exactly what they do, but um yeah, it is definitely concerning that something like this could slip by. Uh it ends up not mattering too much because like a toward didn't do very well in day two. Thor, I think he was think sick. Yeah, yeah. He ended yeah. up dropping. He he was in one of the bottom finishing players of day two of the tournament. But it was because I think he was he had a couple of tough early rounds and then just wasn't feeling good. So he he yeah. ended up dropping. But um, yeah. I mean, I think that it's reasonable that we try to find a way to implement a way for every day two player to get deck checked at some point. Um, and I it's think tough. that it's tough especially with day 2 getting so large yeah. um, but i'm just talking from like an integrity of the tournament standpoint you know mm-hmm. um i wouldn't hate it for there to be like a world where we had players check in their decks after day 1 before day 2 um like where they had to leave them overnight right and yeah. then at some point after the tournament or first thing in the morning, all the judges can go through and do deck checks. You'll have more judges on hand to do it because um, they're not necessarily out there judging games. If they're all having to do deck checks like that, right. Cause it's after the tournament or before the tournament. Yeah. And so it would get done quite a bit quicker. And um, cause you can check a, you can check a Pokemon deck in, you know, two or three minutes, right. Get through and see all the cards that are in there and then check all the sleeves pretty quickly um
1: there's a lot of decks to check though at it is. once it and they have done this in the past at regionals they've held they've held decks before in the past i don't know specifically at some were definitely pre-modern era um and i think there was a couple at the beginning of the modern era where they did hold people's decks um for the night over i think even maybe that the one that i was mentioning i've already mentioned once this podcast was so the orlando regional that i won i think they maybe held our decks at that i don't remember for sure if if anyone remembers the last time they were at a regional where they held their decks or held the decks overnight let us know in the comment section on the youtube channel or tweet at us uh on twitter at uh uncommon underscore wait was it uncommon energy underscore pot no uncommon underscore energy no yes <laughs> yeah tweet at us on twitter let you us know because i'd be yeah. actually i'd be curious to know because i've done it before i've definitely left my deck overnight uh but i, I don't know I, that almost seems unreasonable to be honest i think maybe I think their process currently is just fine. I personally think the process is fine currently. Um, of course, there are going to be some outliers, like Connor mentioned, you know, three tournaments in a row, three day two, so you're playing that many more rounds where you could get deck checked. Like, same with me, right? I've had three day twos in the last three tournaments. I think I've been deck checked once, right? Um, maybe this is just kind of an outlier situation. Um, it definitely Because I've definitely had regionals where I've been deck checked, like three times in a regional, or back-to-back regionals where I've been deck checked, like, twice at the back-to-back regionals, right? So I've I've seen both sides of it, and the regionals are getting bigger, um but how many more people are adding to the staff as well that's another question right is it still just two people doing deck checks or something like it's you can only <laughs> check so many decks in and a certain amount of time
0: right right Yeah, Um, so I mean, yeah, I'd be interested to see if there's any sort of resolution to this, or if this goes anywhere. If this is just ends up being a big old, you know, nothing issue. Um, Yeah. And I guess the other question would be, should Tord face any consequences from this? Like, I don't think anyone. I, I mean, I'm not gonna say anyone. I'm sure there's someone out there who thinks that this was malicious and Tord is sideboarding (laughs) cards and trying to gain an advantage over his opponents. But um, I I mean, he tweeted the proof that he the morning of the tournament tried to change his deck and just forgot to click submit. I think most reasonable people people especially anyone who's played in a pokemon tournament recognizes that this was very high yeah. chance 99 plus percent a mistake on Tord's part yeah. um and totally unintentional so do you think there should be any sort of consequences for him in this regard um i think
1: just as like a standard uh if they can i don't know if they can do this i'm pretty sure they could do this though like i think toward probably should be dq'd from the tournament um like they should just go if they can go back and just remove Tor from the tournament and yeah retroactively go back and remove i think that's fair right retort receive zero punishment for playing you know, if they drop that round 12 or whatever for playing 11 rounds with a incorrect deck list. like you look at the and it's actually interesting because like there was another situation where this was exactly happened with uh grant shen where it's like grant shen got punished in the tournament it was like okay you mess up your deck list. here is the punishment you receive you can continue playing the tournament um but with the punishment of the adjusted decklist. Whereas like Tord, even though Tord did drop and didn't play out the full 15 rounds, still played a decent amount of rounds and chose to drop by choice, right? So I I think that would be fair. I don't even know if Tord would fully disagree with that either as well. It'd be like, yeah, I played the wrong decklist at the tournament. Some kind of punishment, like dropping me from the tournament is probably reasonable, right? Um, and if Tord had gotten any further in the tournament and actually did well in like top aided would have got dq'd anyways right and it could have even been worse right it could have got worse than a dq possibly so i think a dq in this situation if it's like possible to go back and like well it's not really a dq anymore at this point but just like retroactively go back and basically i guess it would be a dq still retroactively dq them from the tournament i think that'd be reasonable right they played a illegal deck list now you know someone else who you know followed the rules doesn't get top 128 or top 256 or whatever uh because someone who didn't follow the rules is now in their spot so i think it's uh, I think that's a reasonable punishment. But yeah, like like we both said, we don't think Tor did it on purpose. Just an unfortunate mistake.
0: Yep. One of those things that happens sometimes and gives us something to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we'll close out the show today by talking about some new cards revealed. So these are going to be cards that are going to come out in Japan in the Triple Beat set, uh, which is going to be the first mini set, mini expansion, or like half expansion in Japan. Um so they always get like their regular sets and then between each set they get like an A set. So this is Scarlet and Violet 1A and it's going to be called Triple Beat and it's going to feature EX Pokemon of each of the final evolved forms of the Paldean region starters. So we've got the Meowscarada, the Skeledurge, and the uh Quaquaval EX. So Azul, I guess before we do this, I do want to ask you, um, as someone who did not play the video games, just looking at the Pokemon, you have a favorite one of these three <laughs> well, of their think, final uh, evolution forms?
1: Fuecoco was definitely my favorite basic. And a lot of people were hating on – why did they make these – these names are hard. Besides Meowscarada, these are like some hard names. The worst one is the Duck um the <laughs> the alligator or lizard or whatever i thought this one looked fine but a lot of people were hating on the
0: way this one looked i don't know why it, um so i disliked it at first but I, I don't dislike it so much now you haven't you don't see what it looks like in the game it, it's on all fours it doesn't like stand yeah. up like this but That's i don't what,
1: know I, i've seen i've seen it on its all fours too i think it looks fine so i'm gonna go with the lizard one as the, the final it just doesn't one. look anything How so like the name?
0: The stage one looks like what yeah. you expect the stage one to look like, right? The the stage two just looks nothing like Fue Coco to me. It's had you know?
1: an insane glow up. Like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you want. Why are you hating? Like that's the real question. Why are you hating on? You know, <laughs> their, I don't hate. I don't up? hate. It's fine. I don't know. Right? This is my Sounds starter like too,
0: man. It's my starter. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'll live with it. It's okay. But yeah, these are actually some really interesting cards, and we can start with the Meowth because uh, it's the first one listed, but I think arguably the best one of these yep. as well. I mean, That's this really card sick. just seems really, really good. It's a Stage 2 EX Pokemon, 310 HP, with the ability Magic Bouquet. You must discard a Grass Energy from your hand in order to use this ability. Once during your turn, you may choose one of your opponent's benched Pokemon and put three damage counters on it. So a little bit more powerful than that Rapid Strike Intellium VMAX. Not a card that saw the most play, but it's been around here and there. But this attack is much better than I think that Robert's Dragon Tellions is. We've got the Nail Scratch dealing 100 base damage. And then if your opponent's active Pokemon already has any damage counters on it, this attack does 120 more damage for two colorless energy as well.
1: It works with the yeah, it works with the double turbo. You'd only been here for 200 at that point, but that's pretty efficient, right? Pretty efficient to get the attack off. Uh, but yeah, really, the power is coming from that ability, right? One grass energy discard, 30 damage, ca- three damage counters. Um, I think the biggest thing you can kind of look at with that is like um, a lot of the. Um, uh, you, Oh, I guess I'd, actually, I was going to go with that, but actually, and I'm like looking through these. There's going to be the basic Pokemon's HP is buffed up a little bit, right? We're looking at like 70s and 80s. So double uh, bouquet is not going to be knocking out all basic. 60s is usually like a, a pretty reasonable baseline for a lot of basics HPs. Um, so that's something you could potentially take advantage of, right? Like two bouquets, KO's 60 HP Pokemon off the bench. But, I mean, I'm looking at these these, these basics for these stage 2 EXs, and we're looking at 70s and 80s here. So, not going to be as good as I kind of thought, maybe. But maybe three bouquets? That's a lot of stage 2s to set up. But, um, yeah, this card just seems good. It's a super good ability and a really efficient attack, right? So, that seems good. Especially with 310 HP, how can you go wrong?
0: Yeah, even the is a beefy boy with 90 HP for an evolving yeah. basic. That's... That might be the highest mark we've been to in the history of the game, honestly, for something that evolves into a Stage 2. Actually, 90 yeah, that HP. might be it. Yeah, it might be, might be the new threshold hit there. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Miascarada the seems very solid. We'll see what it pairs best with. Uh, once it comes out, um, there are three Paldean Tauros forms to talk about. There's a Fire-type one, a Water-type one, and also just the regular Fighting-type one. They're all really similar, and I don't think any of them feel amazing. But they've yeah. all got this like outrage attack 20 plus for two colorless. This attack does 10 more damage for each damage counter on this Pokemon. And they all each have like a unique attack the fire one 120 discard an energy from it, the water one does 60 anywhere for three energy, and then the uh fighting one just does 130. So I don't think any of these cards are necessarily amazing, but yeah, really cool looking artworks. We they do have that going for them.
1: Yeah, and anyone then, who's been uh I was gonna, anyone who's been playing for a little while will look at these cards that'll remind them of Reshiram and Zekrom for sure. Um, because those those cards were hitting for about 130 damage. They're both hitting for 130. Um and they were utilizing their own decks at points, uh ZPST and then Rushi Flosion. Um, but p- after those cards kind of rotated out um or became not as good, they were comboed with Dawn Fan to make an outrage deck where you abuse Dawnfan to build up damage on your Reshiram, Zekrom, and uh, Kiram and then you just use the Outrage attacks from those Pokemon to hit for weakness into certain Pokemon. So maybe that's where this is. these are going to go. Some Dragonite kind of Tauros, baby. <laughs> yeah, Dragonite Tauros, look out. Um, but yeah, that's what when you look at. But the, the funny thing is the stats have not changed since Zekirama and Rush Ram. 130 HP, 130 damage, and 20 plus 10 on the Outrage as well. So literally, they're the exact same cards, just different types, and not Rush Ram or Zekirama. So they're different Tauros uh, types, but... Yeah. Um yeah anyone who's been playing for a while probably looks at those and remembers remembers what and zekrom used to be. But yeah, moving on, Oracorio. what's it do chip, let him know.
0: It's got the Passion Dance ability. Of course, it's a basic type fire pokemon. 90 hit points, Passion Dance. Once during your turn, heal 20 damage from your active evolution pokemon. Very okay card. This reminds me a lot of that shaman that was from, I think it was like Team Up or something like that. Maybe Lost Thunder that um it had an ability that just healed 20 damage from your active and maybe it was just from an active basic i don't remember the exact one of that but that card was actually played a little bit in that selenium venusaur deck yeah Yeah. um i don't think that deck was ever the best but it did have some decent regionals (laughs) finishes it it had a couple like top eight regional finishes to be honest so um yeah yeah, i mean this is a card i could see being okay at some point but it's not i mean stuff has so much hp healing 20 feels almost inconsequential
1: yeah, it could be one of those things where it just, like, matters just enough in a matchup, right? We've seen Orokoro go in and out of Mew decks for that reason. It's like sometimes there's enough matchup situations where it's worth taking that reduced 20. If you're playing up against a deck that doesn't quite want to KO you, but they somehow set up the two KO by, like, poking you first. Like the Meowth Skirata deck, you know, they're sniping that 30 on your bench. Healing up 20 of that could make a big difference to them from between them getting a KO and not getting a KO, right? So I think it'll definitely see play in some deck at some point, for sure. It probably won't be played in everything. um, uh. Yeah, it's not going to be like a mainstay in like every evolution deck for sure.
0: We've got the Skeleturge EX. 340 hit point yeah. fire type stage 2. I think this is the highest HP mark we've seen so far. 340 HP. It's got the Vitality Song for a fire energy. It does 50 damage, and then you heal 30 damage from each of your Pokemon. And then it has Burning Voice for 2 fire. 270 minus this attack does 10 less damage for each damage counter on this pokemon now we've joked before that anytime you see this little minus symbol on a card that usually means it's not going to be very good but 270 that's a lot of damage for two energy (laughs) like uh if you can get this guy cleaned up with no damage on it this is hitting pretty hard and even if it has a little damage on it it's still hitting pretty good
1: yeah I could definitely see this one being uh, pretty good overall. You know, if you're doing that much damage that fast, like, I mean, that can't be bad, right? You switch between a couple, set a couple of them up, you switch in between them, uh, and you know, you hit for 270, they hit that one, you retreat, you hit for 270. Uh, Cheryl's still legal, you get Cheryl involved and stuff like that, right? And you have uh, Magna Basin uh, as well, it's still going to be legal. You are going to do 20 damage to yourself, but we did just kind of talk about Oracorio and healing Ooh, damage from your the evolved Pokemon. <laughs> so I definitely see some potential for the uh dirge EX um definitely
0: and then we've got Quaquavel Quaquavel I don't actually know how to say this one just yet I'll learn though <laughs> don't worry I'll learn uh it's got the uh it's a 230 hp water type stage 2 he's absolutely fabulous and he's got the lively samba attack for 60 damage, switch this Pokemon with one of your benched Pokemon. Then your opponent switches their active Pokemon with one of their benched Pokemon. And then it's got the propeller shot attack for a water and a colorless 230. Put two energy from this Pokemon into your hand. So this one also could be okay if there was like a decent way to get these energies like accelerated back into play every turn, right?
1: Yeah. 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 Um, that might be tough. You could combo with double turbo though, right? Um, so you could like attach water, mm-hmm. attach a double mm-hmm. turbo. You'd be doing 20 less, of course, but it would allow you to attack multiple times in a row. True. But overall, this is the most underwhelming, I think, out of the three, right? Like it just seems 230. I mean, there the other two Pokemon are doing more than that. And the first attack, the lively samba I don't know what you're setting up to make that actually be worth running away for the turn to just do 60 damage. Right? I guess I guess that is kind of the one-two punch though, right? Hit for 60. Run to something that might your opponent might struggle to play around, like a mill tank or something like that. Maybe we need some other cards come around to run to. And then I was going to say wheezing,
0: up. but wheezing rotates.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then you come back up and hit for two thirty, so you're not quite getting KOs. Like that's only two ninety damage, so you have to come up with thirty damage somewhere. Um, but if you're able to come up with like a one two punch of lively samba into the propeller uh, shot while you're running away to something to make it annoying for your opponent to deal with for the turn, then I can actually see that the everyone's HP is just so high, okay. nothing's getting one a
0: KO'd. Here's an idea lively samba into one of the fossil cards right it's an Mm -hmm. item card if they ko it then you have the tool so you're behind on prizes so you do plus 30 damage okay if they don't ko it you can just discard it from play bring your guy up and attack again
1: i mean i could see it i could see it yeah maybe that tool gets involved instead a difference maker um but yeah it could be okay it could be okay it seems the it seems like the worst of the three but um i mean the the definitely seems better and then these two are kind of just like under there and we'll have to just see what else is good to be honest because we have no clue as of right now absolutely
0: and then a bunch of trainer cards including a couple of reprints as well i guess just one reprint and one yeah, pseudo reprint. one pseudo reprint with the luminous energy but yeah we've got superior energy retrieval it's back after almost okay. 10 years almost 10 years black what? and white plasma freeze is when it existed previously to this so oh has it been that long yeah yeah it's oh, been sheesh. 10 years since this was i mean it's not been that long since you've played it because it yeah would have expanded, expanded right yeah played it in blastoise but yeah i mean this is i think a fine card to have in the format it's a really strong energy recovery card for any sort of energy flood type deck anything that wants to put a bunch of energies in play or just have access to a bunch of energies for whatever reason and if you don't know what it does it's an item card you discard two cards from your hand, and then you put four basic energy cards from your discard pile into your hand. So it's a way to just get those cards back from the discard pile.
1: Yeah, super powerful. Definitely gonna see play uh, at some point for sure. A card this powerful is never not gonna see play. Probably won't be like a staple in like you know all the top decks, but yeah, it'll we'll definitely have its moment at some point. Up next, we got the Dendra uh, supporter card, which is pretty mid. Draw the supporter Dendra. card. <laughs> the Tiendra put one card for your hand on the, at the bottom of your deck. Then draw until you have five cards in your hand.
0: Not it's very just good.
1: A, it's just a bad draw supporter. So we'll move on yeah. to the Clavel, which is the oh, I thought you were, this I thought this is the one that you were talking about as being an almost reprint, but it's just another basic Pokemon searching supporter card. Search your deck for up to three basic Pokemon that have 120 or less HP. So we're not trying to they don't want you to be able to get V Pokemon with like us and put them into your hand. And that's like a big part, putting stuff on your hand as opposed to your bench is definitely a huge difference, right? This means that you can play the supporter towards the mid and late game. And maybe you only need to, maybe you have only one bench space open. So you can get that one Pokemon to go to the bench, but then you also thin out your deck of those other two Pokemon that you could then combo with an Ultra Ball or just thin out your deck um, or get them in your hand for a later turn. So like going to your hand is super powerful compared to going things being forced onto the bench. Uh, This is definitely here as a setup card for these, the new EX Pokemon that are going to be coming out
0: yeah and with lumineon v still staying around in the format this is absolutely the type of card i could see being played in these yep. setup decks these decks that want to get a bunch of um basics into play on the first turn and i it makes me wonder if we could ever live in a world where people want to choose to go second so that they can try to get their turn one clavel it depends uh, all this depends on how good EXs are when compared yeah. to v stars and v maxes um and i don't see anything yet that like totally blows it out of the water but Yeah, I mean, I think this card is very okay. I'm not sure if it'll be played right away, but I think at some point in its life, maybe it it might take a rotation or something like that in the future, like maybe you're talking 2023 season. Um, Yeah, Clavel could be okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, Up next, we got a stadium card, a very powerful stadium card. But, of course, when stadium cards are this powerful, just neutrally, uh, they're usually going to be able to have your opponent be able to take advantage of them as well. Artisan Town: Once certain each player's turn, that player may search the deck for one basic Pokemon. So it's a basic Pokemon search card with no drawbacks. Of course, you don't want to play four of them, probably because it clogs up your hand. But if you're playing a deck, you already got like four Nest Ball in your deck and four Ultra Ball, and you're still struggling to find your basic Pokemon, then playing some of the Town could be the difference maker for like you know setting up aggressively. So definitely a very powerful Stadium card uh, that will probably see a decent amount of decks. play. Of course, like I said, you don't really want to give it to your opponent. Uh, you just want to kind of use it. But you'll get the first use out of it, of course, because you're going to be the one putting it in play. And um, as long as it matters more for you than your opponent, like uh, I could see this this card definitely being like a pretty powerful stadium card overall.
0: Yeah, I see this being really solid in Lost Box, to be honest, especially yeah. when comboed with something like Lost Vacuum, because you can just add more cards to your Lost Zone with it as well and make sure your opponent doesn't get to use it. Um, I do have to say, I'm just not really a fan of cards like this, of this type of card where it's just like, a vanilla good card that every deck can use, right? I saw like
1: uh, the the one I'd call back to most recently is Verdian Forest, right? Like that was still played. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> and I like and Verdian was fine, but I kind of prefer whenever there are cards like this that exist that work around specific types of pokemon something like stormy mountains right so it's like it's a very good card but only certain decks can use it and i think back to brooklet hill as well very good card but only certain decks can use it just because it's um i don't know it like creates an opportunity to you know have certain archetypes feel a different way than other ones right like yeah I don't know
1: hopefully we see i see i know what you're saying yeah hopefully we see more of that and i think having those actually stadiums that are very powerful certain types does push stadium wars more aggressively yeah absolutely when people had giant, i think the biggest one is giant hearth a ridiculously powerful stadium you did not want to give any of those fire decks giant hearth every single turn um or even if we go back to uh prism star stadiums thunder mountain heat factory you don't want those things sticking in play um and trying to you want to try and get rid of them as soon as you possibly
0: can right So, I'm just generally not the biggest fan of this card. Like, it's like, I think it's very good. I'm not saying I'm not a fan of it because I don't think it's good. I think it's very good, but I think it's like annoyingly good. It's like just a card that (laughs) is going to be played in a lot of decks just because it works in everything. It's going to be the, I did see a joke. I I did see a joke. I don't know, Azul, I know you didn't play the games, but uh, if anyone who played the video games ever walked into Artisan Town, um, the windmill is definitely very famous because of the very low frame rate of it and so i did see someone online say that oh look they (laughs) they captured the pure essence of artisan town it's got the exact same frame rate as it did in the video game (laughs) which is pretty accurate to be honest it's it's pretty choppy (laughs) and then one last one luminous energy take it home azul yeah this card is i think going to be solid
1: yeah as long as this card is attached to a pokemon it provides every type of energy so we're getting a rainbow energy back we're going to be losing aurora with rotation but they're going to be even as luminous energy pretty soon after rotation hits Is it possible we get some of these cards in our first release of Scarlet and Violet? Probably not, right? But maybe?
0: It's possible, but I think it's important that you read the last part of this card.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, approximately, one energy at a time. If the Pokemon this card is attached to has any other special energy attached to it, this card only provides a colorless energy instead. So we're getting a rainbow energy of course they always have some kind of it doesn't always feel like a limitation like aurora energy just doesn't really feel like a limitation it feels like a buff for most of the decks that's been most powerful in rainbow energy giving you that 10 damage hit never felt like too much of a limitation this one i think is maybe the biggest limitation we've ever seen a rainbow energy have besides maybe double double rainbow energy but you had to limit that to only evolution pokemon um yeah
0: yeah, this yeah, card so... is an exact reprint as well from Multi-Energy in Oh, the past. that's right. I didn't yeah. even
1: remember. Is that, what multi- is that Multi-Energy's limitation?
0: Yep, it's the exact same thing. Uh, Multi-Energy provides colorless that. energy when it's attached to a Pokemon that already has special energy cards attached to it. So, yeah, Multi-Energy was a good card. It was played, um, but it is much more limiting than... Things like like it, it was played Aurora, in much rainbow. less quantities than Rainbow, Aurora, all these yeah. other, double rainbow, all these other things. Right. Which I think
1: is, it's fine to see. Right. And I think I think specifically this is this is good. Rotation is gonna hit. Lugia is gonna die. And if this thing came out immediately afterwards, then Lugia would re- be right back to probably the the tier S deck, right? So I will say all the Reggie's
0: um, players are probably devastated though to see this. Yeah, it's a little sad,
1: <laughs> I guess, for the Reggie players. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad that this is the way it uh, the way it went with this one for sure. Um, yeah, I'm down with do you-
0: this card. And I could still see this
1: making a difference and making actually Reggie playable, to be honest. After this comes out, because you could play just instead of having to play like maybe two different attackers by playing like I don't know nine basic energy, three of three different types to be able to attack with three specific reggies, you get some of these involved and play like two of each energy. Then all of a sudden, you can be attacking uh, with all of your reggies again. So this could actually bring reggies back, to be honest, and make it maybe just good enough.
0: Yeah, and what do you think of that one new draw supporter for Reggie's, the one that, like, shuffles Pokemon back into your deck, and then you draw cards? Oh, yeah. That's
1: pretty good, too. Also, the Artisan Town, that's also really good for Reggie's. Reggie does not care if you're setting up. Reggie cares about setting up. So, yo, the Reggie buff in the second set of Scarlet and Violet is going to go away for a little while, but it'll be coming back soon. It happened.
0: We will have to see what happens. But this (laughs) has been a long episode already, Azul. Um we don't really like to have these episodes go this long, but sometimes it just, we just kind of ramble and it ends up happening. And hopefully yeah. there was still some, some good content for everyone to enjoy. And yeah, as well, you want to, you want to help start closing us out. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Of
1: course, for listening. We always enjoy, um, or <laughs> we always appreciate it. Um, and if you enjoyed the podcast this week then be sure to, and if you want to support us and everything we do in the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform, uh, it's the best way to help the podcast grow, um, and if you're on the YouTube channel, be sure to go ahead and give us a like, subscribe, comment. Uh, yeah, if anyone can, re- if anyone remembers, let me leave a comment. Like I said, or tweet at us. I'm really curious. And when was the last time we had to leave our decks overnight from day one into day two at a regional championship? Because it definitely has happened. When was the last time it happened? I can't remember. Dude,
0: I bet like. 70% plus of the people who listen to our podcast have not, like, have started playing in the last, like... I mean, so there's
1: 30%. There's 30% that might have the answer. <laughs> I'm just saying, someone out there knows. I can. Might, sure. might put out a tweet myself and actually try and figure out. Um, I'm sure, like, Chris Schemansky might, uh, might know. Uh, if you guys want to keep up to date with us, best ways to do it on the socials, uh, on Twitter, follow me at Azul underscore GG. Follow Chip over at Chip Ritchie. And follow the podcast over at uh, Uncommon underscore Energy. And um, that's it. That's all I got. We'll catch you all next Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace.